Good afternoon, Matt. How's it going? Hey, it's not the afternoon yet, but it's going well. It's your kind of afternoon. I didn't mean to contradict you so early in this. I was going right. <laughs> to save that. All right. Well, we're going to take 45 <laughs> minutes and come back. Matt, you were on a boat for a while. That's true. How the hell did that happen? Uh, okay. How did it happen? I guess we can, all, we can go back to the very beginning. May 2021. When I started reading about boats. For some reason, I got like... I got the sense that I needed to escape from what? From work, from being cooped up due to COVID. Uh, but some boat bug bit me at that point. And I started watching YouTube videos. And I said, that's not enough to watch the YouTube videos. I need to go do some sailing. So I found Sunfish Meetup on meetup.com with Don G. And I went out there to this flotilla, flotilla? flotilla of sunfish that he has down in Windermere is like 11 sunfish. Sunfish are like 11 foot long sailboats with one sail, no motor, kind of easy to sail. Didn't know what I was doing the first time that I went out there, but I made it work. Uh, and then eventually I'm like, oh, well, I would, I would like to sail a larger boat, please. So I went down and got, what did I do? So I did a couple of things at the same time. I signed up for boating classes in Sanford, this is like some lake over in Central Florida, uh, where we are, um, signed up for the boat class. And uh, before taking the boat class, I went up to the boat races that they have at Lake Monroe Sailing Association. There's a club over there. And I learned that people need crew for their sailboats on these races. So I went out with a sign that says, do you need crew? And one guy said yes. Do you have a picture of that sign? I wish I did. Oh. I could I could duplicate it, um, but no, that sign is that sign is long gone. Well, now that I think about it, it might be in the nostalgia box. I'll have to look for that. This sure seems like a nostalgic item. Yeah, so. yeah. Although I've been, I've I've taken something from you somewhere recently, which is like, okay, you deal with the, the thing, like the thing serves its purpose, and then. It just goes away as opposed to so into the trash can it goes or into the fire it goes yeah um so i mean i usually still take a picture of it though yeah i've i've been doing what i just described even with like pictures too like i've I've been throwing it into the digital fireplace yeah exactly right because it's like well i've got so many of these one of the things i do when i'm taking pictures is snap 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 and then you go back later and you can just delete all those because it's like well you get the one good shot and then just you don't have to deal with all of these things. So goodbye pictures. So you just delete seven of seven instead of six of seven. That happens. Yeah. That happens from time to time. Sometimes it's like, oh, I'd like to keep this. So I'll keep this. But I don't know if I have a picture of the need crew sign. But anyway, here's what the need crew sign got me. A spot on the boat called Castaway. This is with Richard down at Lake Monroe. And he told me, yeah, I need crew. Come over here. And I've been sailing with Richard ever since. So where have we been so far? May last year, like one year ago, started with, the, with just reading on YouTube, then Sunfish, then sign up for the class, which I eventually did take, but after sailing with Richard. And then a couple months later, uh, I've, got, I've been single-handing those Precision 21 boats out on the lake. And I'm like, hmm, well, I've got some time coming up here. And I learned from uh, Lynn and Larry Party in their book, The Self-Sufficient Sailor. One of the chapters is hitchhiking across oceans. And 
it was a similar thing to just crewing on boat races. People need help with boat races and they also need help with things like overnight passages or just like going across oceans, hence the title of that chapter. So, are there, are there a lot of ocean voyages involving sailboats that need crew? Oh yeah, it's okay. true, it's true. Uh, and I learned from Captain Lauren, who I eventually got onto her boat, um, like she used to go sail in the South Pacific and yeah, people need crew for things like that too. So I did a, a more minor version of that. I did a sail, a 22 hour passage was the longest leg, leg of our trip from Key West over to Fort Myers. Um, and you asked me, how did you, Matt, how did you get onto that? So one day in recent history, like, I guess this was a month and a half ago, you and I were working on some like mini house related project, or maybe at this point it was a shower related project. And in the middle of the day, I, uh, excused myself from that to go and have basically a job interview with the captain. And it went well. At one point during the interview, I showed her, she asked me, so do you pack a lot? Or she asked me, like the conversation might have, it, it definitely got to that, but I don't think she explicitly asked me that. But anyway, I said, oh, you're going to like this. And I showed her the backpack that I went to Europe with. It's like, this was my two month backpack over <laughs> to Europe. And she's like, good, because uh, some of the people that have been on my boat have like brought these big cases, like hard shelled backpacks hard shelled like suitcases right it's unacceptable on a boat there's no well at least you know for her boat she's deemed it unacceptable to bring a bunch of stuff like that it's annoying it's annoying so i think that was um i mean even above and beyond the case the the possibility of expanding that bunch of stuff into the space of a boat i yeah. mean traversing a boat unless it's a yacht traversing a boat is already annoying it's with true. the minimalist attire that's affixed to the thing that's so. right and especially with me um, being in the middle of the boat. So, so let, me, let me lay out the SV escape for you. you. You go down below and you're in the salon, which is like the kitchen. And also it's got a table, but, but it was not in table mode during this trip. It was in bed mode, my bed mode, because I was sleeping in the salon, which is basically like the common area that everybody goes through to get to the aft cabin, which is where Captain Lauren mainly stayed which has the king size bed with little cutouts next to the corners to like make it fit in this space and like, you know, um, make like storage possible in there. So it's basically a king size bed with caveats. And then the V berth is up front, which is, uh, it's like, I guess a queen size bed, but with the cutout. So if two people are in there, their, their like bodies or their torsos are sort of toward the back of the boat. And then their feet kind of come together in the V at the front. Uh, anyway, so that's, that's what the boat looks like. Oh, there's two heads in there as well. Um, so I know there's two. It's not just the one. You have the master head, which Lauren and I shared, and the V-birth head. So it's actually you go in there. By the way, head's a bathroom. That's, yeah, yeah. that's boat speak for bathroom. Yeah. Um, I was going to make a joke about that, but I was I was aware. I, I assume head is a common enough term. That's not a... It's, you, you just explained what it was, so this is all totally irrelevant. Yeah, anyway, keep going. Yeah. All right, so the the forward cabin, in other words, the V-birth, uh, belonged to Michelle and Chelsea. So to recap, it was it was four people on this boat. 
me, Captain Lauren, and the other two pickup crew from the Bay Area in California, Michelle and Chelsea. So that naturally store a sailboat in Key West. Yeah, all of that. Yeah, so actually, Lauren is also like she she called herself an absentee owner. I guess that's just the term for this. So she's been doing six months in Key West and six months back home in California, and that's how she lives her life now, until she sells the boat. And I should say that um, the last time that we rolled up the jib at the end, she said something along the lines of, "Well." I should walk this back a little bit. Somebody said, oh, that's the last time we rolled up the jib for this trip. And then she went even further and said, yeah, maybe the last time ever because I'm selling this boat. And she's like, and it was, oh, dang, she just dropped that. Okay, it might be happening. We might have been the last crew on this. What did you do to make the boat deserve that? It wasn't what I did. It wasn't what I did. Um, She described it as being mad at the boat and i i overheard her speaking with somebody else later on in the trip who she was like more comfortable with it was a friend of hers and she went so far to use the word or to use the phrase the boat is cursed oh okay that's not what i expect you to say at all the boat was cursed according to her and like when going into more details about it with me she said something like well the boat needs at least another $30,000 worth of repairs, and it's already betrayed me several times. What do you what do you think a boat like that would cost new? Uh, new. So I... I, I mean, with I, boats, I'll, obviously, there's the used and the new markets are yeah. both very prominent. But yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not even going to guess new. I'll go with the boat in its current condition. Like that, that boat was something like a, a 2013 Jeunot, whatever, um point is it was like 41 feet long it has some fancy systems like some of the fancy things in a boat are bow thrusters that's like i guess not common and kind of in a certain sense a luxury it has air conditioning it has two heads like we talked about sorry computer um it's a fancy boat so i'll guess that the price of this boat in its current condition or at least well yeah let's say its current condition uh, something like between three hundred thousand, maybe five hundred thousand. Okay. Um, so it still needs more repairs, and it was still having stuff like go wrong during the trip. Like for instance, when we were trying to anchor out after our after that long overnight. No, this was after the third leg of our trip. So we did the overnight passage for like a total of twenty two hours, and we did another. So that was from Key West to Fort Myers Beach. And then after that, we went from Fort Myers Beach over to, we were going to Cottrell Key, and this is all in Southwest Florida. Cottrell Key, no, that's not true. Cottrell Key was a previous stop. We were going to Kaya Costa. And the plan for Kaya Costa was to anchor out, like outside of this, outside of this state park that's only accessible by boat. And we got there, we tried to put the anchor down so that we could camp overnight. Anchor wouldn't go down. And this is just another one of the failures that she's been experiencing and making her hate the boat. So I think this was another like nail in the coffin, another way that she made that decision to sell the boat. And I guess from 2013, can't have had it more than nine years at this point. Oh, she didn't so. buy it new. She bought yeah. it like during COVID. Oh, so, okay. So this boat, this yeah, boat's only yeah, been out she, a handful of times then. Okay. She, she's been sailing it during, she's been sailing it this season. She's not sailed it as much as he, she wanted to because of the problems with it. 
Um, and I don't know exactly what she was doing with it last season, but or how cooperative the boat was being last season. Um, presumably not very cooperative, and probably she didn't get to sail it quite as much as she, she wanted to last season either. But yeah, she's she's been sailing it since, or she's had it since late 2020. How many boats does she have? One. Just the one yeah, boat? Yeah, yeah. Okay. She, she, um, so her thing back in the Bay Area of California is she does boat charters and she does boat classes with two different companies, but she doesn't personally own those boats. She just works on them. Sure. Like is the, I guess the term is the skipper at, from sometimes to all the time. I'm not, I'm not quite sure what the, what the balance of time spent there is. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's what she does. And now for the first time, I think this is the first time that she's personally owned a boat. Um, and she did so, she wanted to do so in Key West cause that was like the, it's one of the ideal spots to go for that kind of thing. So the boat actually says Key West on the back of it. Just to make sure that it never strays too far from home. I guess so. Although I should say. Or is say, that just where it's registered yeah, or something? Yeah, that's, is that's, that, yeah. I guess that's the tradition for boats. You like put the place where it's registered or the home port or something like that on the back of the boat. So you see boats from, you know, from the Great Lakes and from Alaska. You see boats from all over the place that have like sailed into far. a place. I agree. They Alaska is pretty Alaska. far. Yeah. That's true. That's true. And that's why in Southwest Florida, you only see like two or three of those. But when you see them, it's like, oh, that's pretty cool. It came from Alaska. Any sailing boats from Alaska? That's what I'm talking about. Yes. Oh. Yeah. People people have sailed. I was from saying Alaska. that was too far with a motorboat. Yeah. Oh, they've, that's they've extremely sailed. too far with a sailboat. Uh huh. Yeah. There you go. It's possible. Speaking of uh, knots. Yeah. What was your max speed? Max. Oh, max speed. <laughs> Captain Lauren challenged us on the third leg of the trip. So this was from Fort Myers Beach to Kaya Costa, like the seven hour day sail. She challenged us, hey, who can get the fastest speed? She was sailing first and she knew that we were gonna be on the fastest point of sail while she was sailing. So she set us up to fail. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were going, I think like seven and a half knots. Okay. Which is like nine miles an hour, maybe. It's maybe eight, eight and a half miles an hour. 8.6 miles per 8. hour. 8.6 miles per hour, yeah. So, sailboat. I, I mean, that's that's a brisk jog right there. Sailboats don't go very fast mm. in the grand scheme of things. I mean, that's, but, that's reasonably quick. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And when you're when you're sailing nonstop for 22 hours and you have several people to, to be at the steering wheel, at the helm, so to speak, or one of the two helms in this case, uh, you can you can cover some distance. We covered... In that 22 hours sailing from Cottrell Key, so that was the destination from the first leg, sailing from Cottrell Key to Fort Myers Beach, we did about 105 miles, um, not nautical miles, but like regular miles in 22 hours. Yep. So that's that's what we did. That's still faster than walking. So. It's faster than walking. And that was even with some, uh, some slow poke time to like not go we, we we diminished our speed so we wouldn't run headlong into the storm that was brewing just after sunset that was a fun time how much effort 
do you have to put in actively to maintain a speed of eight miles an hour? Not much effort. So once you once you get the sails up and like you know the sails trimmed properly, in other words, like you've got them set appropriately, and you're going in like the direction that you're trying to go, and you don't have to like maneuver around a bunch of crab pots uh, during crab pot Armageddon, was which was apparently in March. You don't have to do much work at all. So it's just like the work becomes like keep the steering wheel about the same place. Uh, to have people like looking out for obstacles like crab pots and fish havens and then you're sailing like you don't have to put a whole bunch of effort, of effort into it how far off the coast were you um for the for the Cottrell key to fort myers beach leg we were like somewhere between 30 and 50 miles off the coast okay yeah we, so. we could not see land in any direction for that part now for the other legs like we could actually see land so for the first third and fourth legs we either had land on one side or you could like see land on both sides so in particular for the fourth leg for which we were just motoring because like it's, we're not putting the sails up for the last one it was too short and also the boat had like angered every, not everybody, mainly just Lauren, uh, because she's the owner. And by the way, that's the reason to not buy the boat. It's like, oh, I can have a good time out here, but, and, and leave all the stress to the captain or leave most of the stress, except for when you're docking, like then the stress kind of like bleeds over to the rest of the crew and that's okay. But point is, um, you don't have to like, you as the crew don't have to worry so much about is something going to go wrong with the boat that I'm going to have to like fix or going to cost me a bunch of money or I'm going to have to worry about the selling? It's, it's not an issue. I'm just relaxing and watching for crab pots. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that we, I, I don't literally recall whether or not we talked about it publicly. I feel like we must have, but I mean, it, the deal that you get in Lake Monroe yeah. renting boats, it just seems like theft. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's so much better than owning because every everyone I know who's ever owned a boat, I mean, it's it sucks mm. between storing it and maintaining it. Yes. It's just a nightmare. Yeah, and you get to like part of storage and maintaining is just the the latent thought and latent stress associated with it. I imagine. I mean, I, I've ne I've not done this. I'm not speaking from experience right now, but I don't I, know anybody who's happy that they have to own the boat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you you just said it's like theft. Um, yeah, I paid, so I got the membership at the boat club uh, as a plug for you sail of Central Florida, <laughs> where you can learn how to sail. But anyway, I paid something like $600 for a season of all-you-can-eat sailing. It's great. Like, you could do that if, if, you, get, if you get your basic keelboat course, uh, you're allowed to go and rent the boat for $100 per session. Or... You could just pay $600 for six months. Is it six months? Maybe it's as little as four months. I can't remember. But Oh, no. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, exactly. And you can take the boat I mean, you out could as much as you want to. Yeah, well, and it, that's, I guess I trampled on that. I mean, sure, getting out there six times in four months, I could definitely see someone. It's like a gym membership. You just let it ride. Yes. But, I mean, given... Given the relative ease of getting up there from here, I mean, how many times did you go? Something like between between ten and twenty times. Yeah, I mean, and that's that, those are numbers. I'm not even going to bother. It work, works out to like forty dollars per session, yeah. between forty and eighty dollars per session. Yeah. And all you have and to do is roll up the fucking sheets when you're done. That's true. That's true. Um, and in fact, I I get the sense from time to time it's like 
like I'm doing a favor for the for the captain there. And it's it's not like the expectation is oh you need to do this you need to do this really well and like put the boat away really well and I'm and I'm gonna get mad at you if you don't. That was not really the case. And in fact, it's it's even it's even better than I'm describing. It's like but wait, there's more. And here's what there's more of. Um, you get the lessons from the person who owns the boat. So that you can like do better next time, and that's what I want. In fact, that's one of the things I wanted from this trip to Key West too. I wanted like the full experience, but with guidance too, yeah. and like that. So that goes for both you sail in the sense that like I learn how to like properly coil a line when I'm putting the boat away, and that's nice. Like somebody tells me how to do that. I have help docking the boat, which like you know to have somebody aligned with your interests. To have the incentives aligned, like in other words, uh, Captain DJ doesn't want me to crash her boat into the dock, so she helps me dock it. If I had my own boat, I would have to like find somebody to help me with that. So she's there, and she, well, she, and she's also starting to trust me with the boat too, because I'm like getting better at man- maneuvering it in the marina. But so I'm learning the lessons there. You sail, and I got to learn the lessons with Captain Lauren on the escape as well. So. That's all cool. Getting to uh, to to learn these things from people who like want me to do a good job. And like this it. wasn't even you were under the impression this was just going to be an unpaid internship on a boat, but apparently you even got mild compensation. Yeah. So. Oh, I I got I, this is like all expenses paid. Like I I ate for free. Um, I I got to have my plane and bus tickets paid for afterwards, which I was not expecting. Yeah, that one in particular. Yeah, yeah. They were cheap plane and bus tickets. Like. It was less than one hundred and fifty dollars all travel expenses, including an adjustment to one of the flight t- one of the flight purchases. So yeah, that it was not it was not like super expensive, but point is like everything was covered, and that's awesome. Yeah. Um, when you are entirely out to sea, thirty miles out, and can't see the shore, versus when presumably on one side of the boat you can see land. Uh, how does that impact the way that you look around? Um, there, there surprisingly wasn't too much of a difference. I mean, look, I guess one of the reasons I say that is because most of the time I was focused on just like, you know, what are the waves doing right now and how can I compensate for that? Mm, I guess I'm speaking only as being like at the helm though. So the rest of the time... I'm out, I'm out at sea and looking around and seeing, oh, this is cooler than being on the lake. I'm having a good time. What makes it cooler than the lake? Being far away from the land. Just the, the awareness? If something goes wrong, then you have to, you have to figure it out for yourself. Coolness? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that was it. Um... How prepared did you feel for (laughs) something like that to occur? One of the things that went wrong didn't happen uh, far away from land. So that was when we were anchoring out. We were were going to try to anchor out at Cottrell. I keep keep messing this up. That was Kaya Costa that we had the anchor failure at. So we were trying to put the anchor down. And instead of like going down so there's a windlass the windlass is the thing that releases the anchor puts it down so you can like be in place 
And this is this is one of the problems with having all fancy systems for the boat. It's like, okay, well, you have this fancy thing that puts the anchor down. It's basically like an electric pulley system that you press the remote button and the anchor just goes down. That's what it's supposed to do. And this saves you from having to do it manually, which I guess with a windlass, you have to like crank it down. Yep. And presumably it's easier to crank down than it is up. But the point is, with the remote, you can just press the button. Well, um, that didn't happen uh, with the windlass. And instead, we press the button and just nothing's happening. And surprisingly, at least to me, like there's no backup plan for that. In other words, there's oh. no manual override for this. I know. Okay. Yeah, I was surprised by that. And I also am suspicious, too. Like, really, is there no way to do this? Um, How much does the anchor weigh? The, the anchor, I asked, I asked this, I was like, can we just do this manually? <laughs> and I was told by Captain Lauren, it's like, it's too heavy, you can't do that. And I'm like, all right, didn't ask any more questions. Accepted. Yeah, well, I I wanted to accept the challenge, but I just I let that ride. I said I'm not going to do this. I mean, it didn't take my dad had a 22 foot walk, which is not even close to the size of the boat you're talking about. But even so, even scaling that out, I, it wasn't that wasn't that big. I mean, it was maybe 15 pounds. It yeah. was just a bladed thing. I would guess I would guess that the anchor itself weighed something on the order of. 40 to 50 pounds um but i also suppose that part of the issue is pulling in all the chain i don't know how all how much all that excess chain would weigh or um just be like well it's both an issue of the weight and the cumbersome nature of lifting it (laughs) so so you're both you're both you're up at the bow lifting this thing in kind of a compromised and exposed position. And I guess that's why Lauren like wouldn't let me accept that challenge. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm already exposed enough just being up there and then leaning over and like grabbing it and maybe potentially slipping could make for a bad situation. So windlasses, uh, electronic windlasses that anchor pulley system are good for like mitigating those problems. There's still some manual intervention that you have to do. And like, like for instance, holding the anchor kind of away from the boat as it comes up so it doesn't crash into the bow. Um, that was, that was part of it. But anyway, back, back to your, back to your question. It's like, what if something fails and what do you do? So at the end of the day, so our plan was to anchor out at this place and it's something like 5 6 p.m and yeah something is clearly going wrong with the plan now and we're going to have to get like some kind of alternative one of the alternatives like okay we can't anchor out here and we also don't have a marina slip and you know the sun's setting and we need a place to be so one of the possibilities for that was like we might have to go back out to sea and because boats are like safer out at sea than they are at land, like near land, um, the the issue there being overnight you can like sort of get blown onto shore, and you need to you need to mitigate that. You need to keep moving, and you need to steer the boat if you're going to do that. Well, that's hard, and like that that requires people to uh, be awake. Right. So the issue or like one potential way to mitigate this problem of being near land is go back out into the ocean. So I should say that at Kaya Costa, we had gone into, I guess this was like Charlotte Harbor is the name of it. We were in the harbor and 
Yeah, we were close to land. Well, that's okay if you're anchored and in one spot, but if you don't have the anchor, you need some kind of plan to like not go hit land overnight. So that could have been a long night if Lauren didn't call the deli at Burnstore Marina. Burnstore Marina was like the plan for three days down the line. That was where we were going to go eventually. But um, we hadn't called because like we hadn't gotten a slip there because we were planning on going there a couple days later. Yeah. So she called them at like 5.30 p.m. First on the radio because, you know, that's what you do on boats. You're on channel 16. People monitor that channel on the VHF radio. And she was like, Burnt Storm Marina, Burnt Storm Marina, we're coming in, something like that. Or do you copy? Nothing. <laughs> we, we hear nothing back from them. And then she says, Matt, I needed to do some research. So I pull up Google Maps. Burnstone Marina is closed right now. It's like, you can't do that. That's That was the uh, the product of my research after 30 seconds. Okay, so she became resourceful and she uh, called the deli at the marina. Uh, and I didn't know that the deli was actually like, you know, overlooking the boat slips over there. Okay, so she called the marina yes, and didn't get anything. You said correct. that she called the deli directly yeah, the first time. Yeah, yeah. I got that backwards. She okay. called the marina right. itself. I just, I like just the, to yeah, that... I, Good clarification. She called the harbor master first, like at the marina, um, and they didn't respond, as they as they were correct to not respond because it was like past business hours. They were making sandwiches. They were too the deli. Yeah, that's right. They were, they were too busy making and enjoying their roast beef. Yeah. Well, um, somebody at the deli did pick up the phone, and Lauren was like, "Hey, could you do me a solid?" And she didn't say it that way, but you know. <laughs> Could you take a look and see if there's any slips available? So the deli master got off the got off the deli line, went up to look, and like 15 seconds later, they say, "Yeah, you got some slips at dock F." So it's like, "All right, we're going to Burnt Store." It was three days out on the schedule. How long yeah. did it take to get there? Uh, we were planning on it, it. It took three more hours of motoring. Okay. Yeah, so we had to motor like at you know, four knots across the harbor. Uh, and eventually we, we turned up at the marina, like just as the sun was going down and also as the tide was kind of low. So that was another piece of stress that Lauren kind of insulated the rest of the crew from for a little while. She didn't tell us that we were going, well, she didn't tell us during the moment when we were going over like a pretty shallow part of the marina entrance. And the implication there was we could have run aground as we were going into the marina and gotten stuck there, like outside the marina. So this is another piece of like insulation, another piece of potential stress that I did not have to endure as just a member of the crew. Uh, but if I were the captain, then I'd probably be like stressing out over this the whole time. Or if not stressing out, at least thinking about it. I mean, obviously she sold the boat. So the verdict ultimately trends in one direction there uh did lauren seem like she was having a, a good time while she was out there oh yeah yeah there were most of the time she was having a good time but there there were the moments like when the windlass failed and when the storm was coming during the overnight passage where it's like okay stuff could go wrong right now and not only am i responsible for the boat but also for the crew um for like this novice crew so I, like, thinking as Lauren, need to make sure that, like, bad things don't happen. So, yes, for most of the time, like, while we were snorkeling down at Cottrell Key and things were, like, things were set, you know, the anchor was good, 
uh, and everything was all right, she was having a good time. And she looked like she was having a good time, like smiling and just like, you know, things are good. But there were those moments of stress where like the windlass is failing or we got to get to the marina or is this sail going to work? Or even like, I guess, let me walk this back a little bit. There was the latent stress for her for like looking for crab pots as we were going around. And a crab pot's like a buoy up on the water that has a line going down to the bottom of the ocean that has like a big metal cage at the bottom of it to collect crabs to like feed people. Um, If those get tangled up in your boat, that can be a really bad time. So we were looking out for those and she, she was like, there was a latent bit of stress there, I guess. Um, but yeah, for the most part, while we were out there, she, she appeared to just be having a good time. My understanding is there were basically three ranks on this boat. There was captain, yeah. um, unpaid internship, which yes. was you. And yes. then there was the two other people. Um, what, what, what were they, what were they doing on there? So what's going on? So Michelle and Chelsea, met Captain Lauren through Lauren's like basic keelboat class that she taught in San Francisco or around San Francisco. Okay. So they met or or eventually so this yeah this is how it happened. They did a women's sailing seminar where Lauren was like one of the speakers. That's how that's how the two of them met Lauren. And then Chelsea and Michelle took took a class, the basic keelboat class, similar to the one that I eventually took with Lauren. Um, and then the two of them learned that Lauren, like you know, they got in touch somehow and Lauren's like, well, we could do the, like the next level of this class, or if not the formal version of the class, like just some, Hey, you want to go sailing? You can learn some more stuff. We're going to do an overnight passage. And they both said, presumably they both said, sounds great. Let's go do that. Um, so that's how that happened. And as far as I know, they they at least were paying the like the food expenses and um, some some share of the marina expenses as well. Um, so yeah, that's that's what happened. And I was <laughs> I was continually thanked along the way. It's like like both Lauren and Michelle told me at different points. It's like Matt not sure if this could have happened without you. And that that was like a big ego stroke there. It's like, oh, so, okay, you're well, you're so very welcome. Were you providing guidance to them? It wasn't so much guidance as it was like extra pair of hands. And like, I, I was, I was doing so competently too. Um, you know, I could have, I could definitely have done better. Like for instance, at, at the final marina that we went to, um, we needed to tie up the boat to a piling as opposed to a cleat. And I didn't know the knot for that. So like there were there were things like that to, that I could have gotten better and that I'll be more prepared for next time. But yeah, I, I, while I wasn't pr- providing guidance, I was providing like, you know, an extra pair of hands and that was useful. Okay. I messed up. So when tying up to a piling, I tried to do, I tried to do, what what kind of knot did I try and do there? I just tried to do like a regular clove hitch and I'm used to doing a clove hitch on a horizontal thin stanchion. 
Yeah, describe but, describe the shape of a piling. Yeah, a piling is a vertical, thick piece of wood that a dock is affixed to. So it's like so it looks like a post. Yeah, it's, up. it's like a post in the water. Okay. And at a lot, apparently, at a lot of the places in Florida, like I, I should have more experience with like boating in Florida as a kid, but I just don't. I guess I always went to docks that had cleats on them. Um, but anyway, this dock that we finally had the boat end up at was like a long dock with no cleats on it. It just has these pilings. And the idea is that you can, the idea is that you can tie the boat up to these pilings. Well, I'm like, well, okay, it's a big piling. I can do a clove hitch on this. I messed up the clove hitch on this vertical thing, this vertical thick thing. And as I was tying up, like, let me back up a little bit. So when going into a marina, you have like the briefing as you go into it. The captain assigns roles to each person and kind of walks through what each person's going to do. And my job when coming up to this place, or part of my job, was to get off the boat quickly, tie up the stern line to the piling, and then run up and catch the bow line as the bow is kind of drifting away from from the dock because like the boat is coming into it and then it kind of it can bounce off and then proceed away from the dock so you don't want that to happen so my job was to tie up the stern to the piling and quickly go catch the bow line that michelle was throwing she was up at the bow and then tie up the bow line to the dock well i was in a rush i was trying to do that quickly and then as i like you know take take three or five seconds to tie up to the tie up the stern uh, I then start running up to the bow and Lauren immediately calls out. She's like, Matt, that's not a knot. So I mess it up. She, and then, then she says, like, do half hitches if you have to. And I'm like, okay, I know how to do that. It's a general purpose knot. So I, I was going to say, could you not do a bowling around one of those? That, that, that would, that's, that would be slower. The, the, I could do a bowling there. Um, but it's just like, oh, it's, it's just slower to do that. And I'm like kind of okay. fat, kind of okay. trying to go fast here. And I think I know how to do a clove hitch. I don't, <laughs> not, not in this situation. I don't know how to do a clove hitch. Uh, and I told her later, like, oh, I'm going to go back to the compound and like set up a knot tying obstacle course in the backyard, uh, yeah. because I'm fine at tying knots, but not under like conditions of, uh, I'm fine at tying knots under ideal conditions. But that's not sufficient. Like you need to be able to tie them like quickly and under like some kind of like stressful situation. So I tied some half hitches in my like shame, whatever, and tie up half hitches to the back. And then I go catch the bow line. Uh, And now like that the boat is secure, you can like take some more time to like get it right. Um, And then she like, you know, once the boat is secure, we had our high fives. It's like, oh, I can't believe we didn't fully run aground there when turning this boat around this narrow canal, Uh, which we kind of touched the ground at one point. We did touch the ground, but then she like turned up the throttle a little bit and we got off the ground quickly. She like executed this like very narrow turn. I'm like, oh, yeah, if I had this boat in here, I would not be able to do this. Uh, So that was another point where it's like, I'm glad I'm not the owner. I'm glad I'm not the captain of this boat because I would have screwed that up. Um, you know, she has like a couple more years of experience than me, so fair enough. But yeah. How old was she? Uh, I'd put her in her mid to late 50s. Okay. Yeah. So possibly been doing it for a long while. Yeah. Yeah. She, she's she been sailing since she was 14, at least intermittently sailing since she was 14. Sure. So you said there wasn't a huge difference between... I mean, I guess actually, while we're while we're still somewhat on this tack, um, 
were you ever in material how how far were you from being in material danger at any given point Lauren seemed kind of stressed as we were going into the storm after sunset dinner the first night. Well, the on the first night passage. Uh, and the danger that we were in was, are we going to sail into this lightning right now? That was the question. And the answer looked like it was going to be yes. Turns out that we were able to avoid the storm, but... There, there was, there was some stress as the sun went down, and we were starting to like go into this potential lightning situation. You mentioned that the difference between the way you experienced the boat when it was completely out to sea, as opposed to when you could see land, wasn't terribly large. That's true. It was, it was a cool difference. It's like, oh, we're we're kind of, we're kind of out on our own right now like we couldn't we couldn't possibly or it's very unlikely that we see somebody else and that solitude was cool and also just the sense of like okay we have to we have to handle this ourselves that was also that was also scary and fun it was fun scary well and they but those emotions all fit within the concept of a group presence and a group accountability which is interesting because usually when people talk about the sea, at least in a casual way. Um, it's not even necessarily that it's a placidity. It is like the aloneness has sort of a stoic quality to it, but it doesn't sound like that's the, the either the draw, the draw or the experience of it. Uh, I guess there was some of that stoic. I mean, could, could you, could you elaborate on? It's the, the idea that you have nothing to distract you besides <laughs> besides what is in the, the self-contained vessel you're in mm-hmm. and whatever you decide to contemplate outside of it. Yeah. Um, and anything that you decide to contemplate outside of it is not land. So it is inherently either more, um, it is more dangerous or it is more adventurous yeah. or whichever, whichever adjective you want to use. I... I don't know. I keep uh, I keep just running through random uh, Moby Dick passages <laughs> while I'm thinking about this. I mean, he certainly he certainly talked about the ocean as being a completely surreal thing to have to have to deal with, and the way that you've described it is essentially the heads up version of that, which is to simply take <laughs> take into account the fact that. Um, no one, no one is that. It's not merely the idea that there is no help out there, but that you, you know, you have to be on it, and you have to make sure that you're, that that if something were to go wrong, um, you have to be on top of that as rapidly as you can mm-hmm. to make sure that it uh, does not escalate. And you're also trying not only not only are you trying to not how to, how to say this. You're trying to preempt those things that are going wrong. Yeah, exactly. So what is one of the things that could go wrong? You run into an obstacle at sea. That was like the primary thing. So you asked earlier, once you're sailing, how easy is it to maintain that speed and so on? Um, it's pretty easy just so long as you're avoiding obstacles and you're like, you know, keeping your course, the latter of which is the easy thing to do. But it still requires, you know, you're at the steering wheel, you're at the helm, and you're trying to make sure that you're not getting blown off by the wind or the waves, getting blown off your course by the wind or the waves. But the more the more relevant part is, could I run into a fish haven or some some day marker out there? Like, is there some obstacle or, or even another boat? Probably not. Probably like it's going to be either well lit enough at night such that you can avoid it. 
usually boats are good at like staying lit or during the day like you'll be able to see the obstacles that you're like coming up on or you've got your chart plotter that tells you like hey here are where the fish havens are or fish heavens i don't know the difference between the two but the chart plotter said both fish haven and fish heaven which was interesting sounds like a typo but i think yeah. it's, it could be a typo but they had different symbols so i don't know oh yeah, I'm not sure. Wild. Um, we will not be annotating that. I don't want to know the difference. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm not looking it up. Um, but yeah, so you're trying to preempt problems by being serious about what you're doing. So you like, like for instance, one of the, there's a formality that I liked on the boat when it was me and somebody else, you know, on the on the watch at night. It was, anyway, so, so I said there were a total of four people on the boat and we had two teams during the long overnight passage, two teams of two. It was Lauren and Chelsea, and it was also me and Michelle as teams. And me and Michelle were trading off the role of pilot. Um, and we would do the formality thing, which is like after 45 minutes, which is what we decided to do, like let's trade roles after 45 minutes. We did the, uh, when somebody is transitioning from the pilot role to the co-pilot role, it's like, okay, hands on. And the other person says, hands off to designate, okay, I've got it now. And you're doing these little serious formalities while you're, while you're like, you know, responsible for the boat to indicate like the serious nature of this. And it was nice. It was nice because like you're indicating some kind of some kind of seriousness and it's not just like oh we're on the road and like you know on the highway and and being like kind of casual about it no we're 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 sailing here yeah it certainly seems to tie into yearning is maybe strong although it may actually be the appropriate term zooming out slightly um part of the appeal of that the way you've described this, it just comes down to the fact that the things you're doing have like material relevance. Yes. Like <laughs> whether they're executed correctly or not causes like tangible physical consequences, um, which I can definitely see the appeal of. Yeah, yeah. In a context that you're not used to. So I, I guess that maybe after doing this for more than one time, like maybe I've done this 15, 20 times, that that might change a little bit. It's like, oh, just another day at the rodeo or whatever. Um, but now that I say that, like that was not the case for Lauren. I mean, she was still being serious the whole time. It's like, okay, we're, we're ultimately responsible. We can't just call AAA if something goes wrong like you could on the road. Um, well, an easy, an easy conceptual pivot for this. In your case, we don't have quite enough time to talk about it in depth and it might actually be worth talking about another time uh is uh, rock climbing because you yeah, you rock climb at a gym and you've gone rock climbing in like a place with potato which with what i assume are real hazards real hazards and if you like mess up in a place like the rumbling bald you've got to like get carried by other people out to safety yeah. and that's yeah. Is that alluring to you? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. That's that's right. that's part of the draw to going climbing outside uh, compared with climbing inside. It's like okay, it's like you you better get this move right. And the way that manifests when you're on a boulder is like you, you can you can feel that you can feel it when you're making a move and your foot is like in a spot that you you think like might not quite go so right, but that feels good. 
it feels good and bad. You know, it's, it's, uh, you can feel it in your body. Like you start to shake a little bit. It's like, oh, your, your knee gets a little bit jelly-like. And it's, it's actually a, a fun feeling. Do, do you like that feeling in the moment or retrospectively or both? If I had to choose one, it's in the moment, but it's both. Um, yeah, like even I remember talking about one of these moments in the car on the way from the rock climbing field, like from, from the boulder field. Um, and this is a problem, rock climbing problems are called problems. Um, <laughs> we were discussing the problem that was like definitely on the the edge of my skill level and all of us like in the car sort of one of us described it as like a religious experience and someone said matt we were all climbing we were all right there with you on the wall climbing because like (laughs) it was it was obvious and it is obvious for anybody who's climbing um when watching that person like who can can you do it and you like start to see someone's body like like they'll start to they'll start to tremor a little bit and they'll start to like you know they when they reach for a hold they kind of do so in a in a hesitating way and it's like ooh this person might not make it right now it's clear or it's very unclear about whether whether you can do it and that's where the 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 so-called religious experience comes from it's like if you can do it then everybody's like yes that person got it so it's fun both in, in the moment and in retrospect, like when talking about it. I'm kind of feeling some of it right now when describing it. Yeah. No, I, this and this is, we only have like seven-ish minutes, yeah. so I don't necessarily want to go on that tangent. But I do want to bring, I, I do want to just do as a lightning round thing, because I thought of an example and a counterexample yeah, yeah. that happened closer to here. Yes. Um, your favorite experience when we were putting up uh, uh, the Minimum Viable Building yes. was... Um, at least uh, I vaguely remember this being it uh, was it was me, you, and Jacob attempting to put a rafter on. I I, I thought you were going here. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, you told me about no, it, so I hope you it's, remember. It's true. It's true. We were we were putting a rafter up, and and the three of us were sort of like overhanging, we leaning this raft. off the roof yeah. of the fucking building. Yeah, we were yeah. leaning off the roof, and this this rafter was like like it was. It was up to us to hold on to this big, heavy yeah. piece of wood because there was 16, nothing underneath yeah, it. Yeah, it was a sixteen-foot-long rafter, twelve yes. feet in the air, uh-huh. and we needed to get it stapled. And uh, yeah, yeah. Now, now, granted, the consequences for dropping that thing were we would have ruined a piece of wood. I guess like there was nothing underneath it that we were going to severely damage. I guess. I guess actually, like one of us could have fallen. Yeah, so, I was gonna so say pro- that. De- probably, that depends highly on yeah, what yeah, actually goes wrong. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, but my counterexample, and I'm curious what the differentiator is, was when we were trying to put that fucking piece of drywall up on the ceiling. Yeah, yeah. Um, using two tools incorrectly together instead of the one uh, elevating thing. Yes. Um, I, do do you have like fond memories of doing that? Kind of. Okay. Um, it, it, I I also have the the memory of the lesson. Like, hey, you Matt, you've probably gone a little bit too far in terms of risk here, and probably like it was it was nice to do this, but this is one of the things that people say. Like, oh, I, I 
back when I was like in my teens and twenties, I thought I was invincible, but now I've realized that I'm not. This is one of those moments. It's like, okay, like you've gone a little bit too far and now this ladder is shaking. Probably in similar situations in the future, you need to be a little bit more careful. So I fondly remember that moment, but also I, I remember it as a moment of a lesson, like, hey, probably be a little bit safer when you're doing something like this. Yeah, the the easy straw for me to grab about that experience. I like that experience retrospectively, but it um in the moment it was frustrating because it was the result. It was it was the result not only of um a lack of preparation, but even just poor improvisation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you were we were to try to describe this as rapidly as possible. There's a machine that allows you to elevate pieces of drywall really easily with a crank. Mm. And we were working with an 11 foot slanted ceiling. Mm. And that machine, as long as you can get it placed on the ground with its three legs out, will crank it up there, hold it in place, screw it in, and it's done. It's very easy to do. The problem is that um, MVB is not a large building and uh, moving drywall panels and other shit around uh, is annoying. In a building of that size, so we didn't do that. Yes. And uh, with the best next best solution we came up with was to put two ladders, which <laughs> all the shit was still around. Yeah, it's yeah. not like we could put the ladders on flat ground, mm-hmm. so we didn't. Yes, um, and just haul this half sized sheet of Type X, the heaviest, <laughs> heaviest drywall possible, yeah. into position. Um, and it was uh, it was not great in the moment, but uh, it is definitely a visual. It's a visual burner, um, and I imagine because unlike bouldering, I mean you're you're making decisions. You can potentially be making improvisatory decisions, but it's not like you have um, you have not sown the seeds of your destruction in your preparation <laughs> when you're bouldering or boating. Yeah, yeah, and also when bouldering, like there are. There are safer and more dangerous ways to do it. For instance, when I was on this problem, I had spotters underneath me. So the people like guiding me onto the crash pads and, you know, I did not have a tree stump underneath me, which, you know, you can do this again, you can do it more safely and more dangerously. It was a relatively safe situation that I was in, but something can go wrong. You're on the wall there are rocks around you and maybe like one of the spotters is like, you know, out to lunch mentally. So those things could go wrong. And you don't, to drag this back to sailing, um, you don't get burnt out with that feeling sitting with it for a couple of days. It's not just a momentary thing. Um, I didn't get burnt out with it. I could see that happening, but you know, during my most recent bouldering trip, which I don't go on too many of these and I I would like to go on more. Um, but anyway, I've not, I've not gotten to that. Um, I, I suppose that like with a gnarly fall, uh, that could happen or that, or I would need a break, but I've, I've not yet had anything like that. I meant on the sailing trip, that feeling. Yeah. Oh, I gotcha. I gotcha. I gotcha. No, cause yeah, the bouldering is the momentary yeah, thing. Gotcha. Like it's, it can't, although I guess, I guess it depends how, mm-hmm. how long is a bouldering day? Um, we, so when I was in North Carolina recently, we went from like between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. So you're not like climbing the whole time. You're just kind of out there. I mean, even people six are ta- hours taking doing turns. That sounds like a long. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like a strenuous day. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And again, like you're not actively climbing the whole time. You're just kind of like, you know, it's a day out walking around the park and like you having a picnic and watching other people climb too and just socializing. So there's, there's a bit of everything there. Um, but yeah, back to sailing. It's like, 
I I guess I guess I could have gotten burnt out on that. I just didn't though. I was I was having a good time. I should should caveat that by saying it was really nice to sleep in my bed when I got back home though. <laughs> and I'm supposed to be gone from like June 30th through August, maybe September, October, you mm. know, November. Who knows? We'll how see. long will I be lost at sea for? Um, that, that's how the, long that's is the question. actual sea voyage going to be? The one from Brooklyn to Nova Scotia is supposed to be four weeks, but I was advised to um, budget six weeks just in case we have to sit out some weather. Okay. Brooklyn Bob, uh, he contrasted, um, he drew one comparison between himself and me. He said, well, Matt, I do have a job, so I need to get back eventually. I'm like, don't worry. Don't worry about me. Roasted. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I guess that's a ro a, an attempt at roasting. I didn't take it at all that way because... I have no idea in the context to which it was I, said, I didn't so. really give a lot of context, but... So. Yeah, yeah. But on the other hand, like, maybe I would have taken that as a roasting in the past or would have been more sensitive to it as a roasting in the past, but... I don't know. One of the themes for this year is I'm I'm feeling better generally about these weird things that I do. Yeah. And one one reason for that, like I'm specifically contrasting this with, you know, back in the day when I was super confident, jumped into Habitus, and then my confidence fully eroded because I'm like, there's no sense in what I'm doing right now, and everybody around me is trying to like indicate to me that things are wrong. Um, or if not trying to indicate that things are wrong, then at least that's the message that's coming across to me. And there's probably some value in that, like, like to get back on the right track when I don't have my life fully figured out or whatever. Um, but that's the contrast with this time, because this time it's closer to, okay, I have life like basically covered. Like I've got the place to live like I've got the simple fallback plan of the MVB specifically what I'm talking about right now yeah. but that's only one part of the fallback plan now I also have more money and now I also have the experience at knowing that the whole actuarial thing really isn't the right thing for me I've given it four shots now than just the two that I gave it <laughs> when I um, initially dumped it um, and I'm having more success with whatever kind of weird exploration that I'm doing these days, uh, which also includes building the MVB, not like having it, which is kind of, kind of distinct from the first point there. Yeah. Um, but like building it, and that seemed to go well. The, the caveat there is like it could fall apart in two years. Like it turns out that we like just totally built it incorrectly. Yeah, really bad, and, the, yeah. and, and maybe that I'll have to walk that back in two years. We'll see about that. Um, but also the whole like sailing exploration thing is working out in the sense that um you know it's it, it's like a different goal different set of goals and a different risk profile than what i was doing what i was exposing myself to before with habitus and entrepreneurship and all that jazz um and so in other words it's like it's easier for it to succeed because like the success criteria are much broader. It's like, are you having fun, Matt? Answer, yes. Are you not dying, Matt? Answer, I'm not dying. So it's like you're succeeding. And yeah, that well, feels and good. We'll, yeah, well, and we'll we'll see. You got four weeks to test that hypothesis. I mean, you you mentioned that the the success parameters are broader. I think mm -hmm. they actually 
I see it the other way around. The problem Habit Test had was that it was the success parameters for Habit Test were too broad. It needed to simultaneously satisfy you and make you financially independent. That's true. Like you, you put too much on that. Whereas okay. now, you in your current situation, while it would be cool if you could make money doing what you're doing, if you could like support a livelihood with it, you don't need to. Yeah, and, and I'm not explicitly trying to either. Yeah. And as a result, it's that that makes it much more flight. Because if if you were trying to basically, um, if you weren't merely trying to get compensated for, although I guess I don't know, I guess if you're getting your room and board paid for as compensation, you could theoretically parlay that into a a sustaining lifestyle. But you're that's not an objective. That's just a perk. Yep. Yeah. Exactly right. So I've had I've had more or less the same thinking about this. Um, and before I went on the voyage with Captain Lauren, I was like, okay, what is, how much would I pay for this? And it was significantly more than zero dollars, which I ended up paying for it. Um, and that, I, I guess, like, as you get better, as one gets better at this sort of thing, then it becomes more likely that the person, in this case, me, uh, gets compensation or free room and board or something like this in other words as i get more skills i become more valuable and and like the combination of having the skills and having the reliability and flexibility to just jump on whatever boat at any time that's a hugely valuable combination and i could be like compensated for that or at least given free room and board for a couple weeks and with having the uh, the backup plan of getting getting back into the mvb whenever Whenever I need to like go home and I can't find a boat to be yeah. on, then it's it's a it's a win. Yeah, having a home base. Yes, for sure. And there will even be some months of the year when it's pleasant to be at home base. Uh, well, there's another another thing that I was thinking about too. Uh, anyway, we have these we have these microphones on, and we haven't introduced this yet formally. We're just kind this of is, talking about this is this is just but. gonna I I have this recording in the same. In, in the same project file okay. as the first one, I'm probably just going to put a beep in. Yeah, just and cut just, everything together. Just, yeah. Okay. I don't okay. see any reason to split them up. Sure. Um, I sent you two videos uh, to sort of like give you a sense for what the crew interactions were like. So that this is one of the reasons why we wanted to come back and talk about this again. It's because the first time I felt like, you know, I felt... W- I didn't listen back to the recording file that you sent me because it's one of those cases, the previous conversation, I mean, because it's one of those cases where I felt like not used to being in front of microphones. And I also felt like I was trying to defend myself, like defend Matt, why did you go and do this whole cruising thing? It's like, well, it was awesome for reasons X, Y, and Z. And I need to like find the awesome things. And I think I used the word cool way too much. Okay. <laughs> this is cool. The sunset was cool. Or the, the moonrise was cool. Look at all these stars. It's cool. The dolphins. I may, maybe didn't say anything about the dolphins. But I can assure you they were cool too. Oh. Um, so there was a lot of cool stuff happening. And that's not necessarily the impression that I... Well... I was, I guess I was talking about it in a way that doesn't really satisfy me. That's fair. And yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's too bad, but it's, it also sort of maybe points to why I was uncomfortable talking about it. And one of the reasons why I felt like I was uncomfortable talking about it is because of the social lessons learned that I got from it. And I was like, got from the experience of being on the boat on the escape one. 
And I was like, oh, well, if I start talking about the, so I was trying, I guess part of me was like trying to stay back and stay away from talking about those social things because it could be like sort of an indictment of my normal social life. And you and I have talked about this a little bit over the last, what, uh, two years of like COVID being a primary focus of life. Yeah, It's still here, but it's like not a primary thing anymore. Okay, so I've acknowledged that and we can move on for whatever. COVID still exists. Yeah, I get it. Um, but I felt like I felt sort of locked up in a certain sense over the last two years um, because we have been locked up, right? Yep. That's that's like actually been the case. Um, and I've, I've talked to you about, uh, I think I've used the words like I've unfairly put a lot of the social burden uh, like my my social needs onto you because it's like oh david's the only one around yeah or, or, like that's that's basically been it been it and dave like david's been around and your friends have been around and like this is this is what sh- social life is right now and one of the i guess one of the initial attractions to getting into sailing was like it is the classic kind of escape valve that people have generally it's like I've been walking around apartments near the beaches and even not near the beaches, apartments, hotels, just buildings in general. And like you see pictures of boats on walls and fish and oceans. And it's like, there's something that people like about this kind of thing. And it's probably part of my first, my initial attraction into this whole thing. It was the middle of 2021. Like this this is last year when I got bitten by the sailing bug, as some people have called it, like since I've been talking to them. Oh, you were bitten by the sailing bug, huh, Matt? It's like, okay, I guess this is a common thing. Um, and I guess one of the reasons why I was bitten by it is because I was like, I feel like I need something else. And yeah, like probably everybody needed something else than what they were experiencing in the middle of the whole COVID situation. Um, so fast forward to this trip on the escape. It's literally called the escape one sailing vessel escape one. Um, how many escapes are there? I couldn't tell you. <laughs> this, I mean, if it's Lauren's, called the one. Yeah. I mean, no, it's, or, oh, it's not her naming convention. So, so I thought initially that it was Lauren's thing. I was like, oh, you, you're thinking about getting another escape, huh? <laughs> like you're just getting ahead of this right now. It uh, turns out that it was called the Escape One because she bought it from, I don't know exactly, I think some chartering company, and she did not rename it. So I guess what happened there is the chartering company had an escape, and then they got a subsequent escape and had to rebrand the first escape, the Escape One. I think that's what happened. So Lauren didn't name it that. That sounds like a lot of hassle. I don't know that I would bother to go back and call it a mark one unless unless they just assumed they were going to yeah i i don't know but yeah it's called it's called the escape one as we talk about it though we can just drop the one we'll just call it the escape because it's funnier yeah well i actually don't know which one one's funnier but whatever the first escape yeah the first escape and on my first escape i validated like some of those some of those things i was thinking about and this gets into more of the of the social aspect of the trip. Now, before before we get into that, though, I want to go back to something that we did talk about um, on the previous the previous version of this conversation, um, which was the rock climbing thing. So, 
I've escaped twice this year, right? I've gone. So, so my, my two things this year have been like my two big trips and some of the biggest highlights of this year so far too have been the rock climbing trip near Asheville with uh, Dan and Pam and actually going on the boat called the escape with Captain Lauren and Michelle and Chelsea. Um, so I'm going back to the rock climbing thing right now because one, one of the highlights of that experience was not in the boulder field, but it was just showing up at Dan and Pam's house. And one of the first things that Pam said to me when I got there was something along the lines of, Matt, welcome to the retired life. <laughs> and I was like, I thought to myself, well, I can't exactly remember, but it was something like, that's awesome to like feel this validation of the lifestyle that I've like been trying to been trying to adopt for myself, but is obviously kind of a strange thing. Um, and Dan and Pam were in a perfect position to um, offer me that level of validation because, and I'm going to toot my own horn here a little bit, I introduced Dan and subsequently Pam to this whole concept like five, six years ago, and then they took it and ran with it hard. The financial independence retire early thing. Yep, that's yep. right. That's right. Um, so now they are both retired. They're climbing bums. They've gone all in on bouldering. <laughs> um, well, just climbing generally. And anyway, to have Pam say that is one of the first things when I walk through their door, like after having driven nine hours from Florida up to North Carolina to get there again, she said, Matt, welcome to the retired life. I thought to myself, like, yeah, I guess I am kind of retired. I guess we all, but we all did succeed at this together. And that feeling of validation was really nice. And unfortunately, like a, like a contrast to how I typically feel, I typically feel like I, I guess I did during the previous conversation where I feel like I need to defend the strange decisions and the strange choices that I'm making, not necessarily to you and probably actually minimally to you personally, but more to the people who could potentially be listening to this. Oh yeah. So well, and I'll, I'll take some. I'll take at least some of the blame for that in the way that I was phrasing the questions I was asking you. Yeah. I, I was I was deliberately being a little drilly about it because a we didn't have a lot of time. Yeah. And b I do kind of like the. I, I want to get to the point. I, I actually I find it somewhat entertaining to have you attempt to defend something. That is on its face. This this will sound a little counterintuitive based on what you were just saying, but on its face requires no defense whatsoever. Like this is a thing that people spend tremendous amounts of time and money to do. Yeah, yeah. And the need to you know quote unquote defend yourself for doing what is an imminently pleasurable activity <laughs> mm -hmm. is interesting to me because it's one of the, it's it's a um. It's an issue that I have, and it's, it's a version of projection, I guess. Okay. Probably. Where I, there are all sorts of things that people do that they enjoy that I don't see any, like, I don't get any satisfaction out of. So, like, having... <laughs> <laughs> and sailing's not one of those things. Sailing was a perfectly chill thing to yeah, do. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want to do it as often as you mm -hmm. do it, but I don't... I by no means regret when you took me out on the lake. I appreciated that very much. Um, but it's it's one of those things that I, I just, you know, in my in my my adventure to figure out how to map my experience onto everyone else's experiences, 
uh, it's it's fun to have those data points. Yeah. Um, so again, that that was just my mea culpa for that. Um, to the extent, I mean, obviously, you all you you've talked about this a lot, and it's part of the reason why we don't podcast all the time, and it's part of the reason why the podcast sort of shuts itself off occasionally. Um, is is it's like who who is listening to this? Yeah, yeah. And I'm not I, I'm not as paranoid about that as you are, but I still I still am highly cognizant of wasting people's time, listeners' time. So I like I don't want to you know. If, if I don't feel like I have something to say, I don't want to put it out there. Yeah, yeah. So it's probably that, the right thing to do. Maybe it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's impossible. Maybe the right thing to do. It's impossible to know, but it's you know it, it results in a slightly more higher pressure. We were literally talking about sailing and in a rush, to do it, <laughs> which is the wrong attitude. It's the wrong attitude. And and coming back to one of the points that you made just then was like. I agree with you that I felt the need to defend myself partially because people do spend time and money and take a long time to set themselves up so that they can have an escape like this. But I didn't do that. So I did it in a different way, right? So what you cued me into there was the Mexican fisherman. The Mexican fisherman is like the guy, just to quickly tell this, it's the guy, you have a Mexican fisherman and then some like, tycoon comes to this guy and it's like oh you have this boat you could like turn it into a business and then after 10 years of running this boat business down in mexico you can retire and you can just do this all the time and then the mexican fisherman looks at the tycoon and says yeah but i'm already doing that <laughs> right yeah. so why, i love, why, I love why, that joke it's very hard to tell because you've got like the pieces and the stuff in it yeah. If, if if you want to roll up to the punchline, there's like three different versions of it. But, yeah, but anyway, I, I, I just wanted to tell it quickly. So, oh no no no, so, that's that, that's totally fair. I'm yeah. just off, off so the so that's anyway. That's one of the reasons why I felt the need to defend myself. It's like I just took a shortcut to where I was trying to get to to this escape thing that I see on on the pictures like you see the pictures of the boats you see i'm seeing the pictures of the boats of fish the ocean sunsets and so they're literally forth. on motivational posters at work i know sometimes. i know yeah like that and and i'm just trying like one of my um one of my mo's is to just cut the crap and get to the point right so and and yeah i understand that i'm exposing myself to risks by doing this but the way that I see the world right now, it seems to be the right play. Or at least the way that, maybe maybe let me add a little bit of color to that. The way I see my personality interacting with the state of the world right now makes me, makes the whole situation like me and the world such that I need to just go have my adventure sooner rather than later. And if I don't, then I'm gonna, I'm just not gonna be having a good time. Um, that's pretty vague. That's pretty ambiguous. But like, well, that's that's well, the situation. Let's drill down on a word you used there, which I is it's an interesting thing, and it it speaks to okay. I'm gonna actually say the word instead of explaining what I'm talking about first. Yeah. Shortcut. Yes. This is not a shortcut on a very practical level. Because you have the means to do it. Yeah, that's that's fair. I guess, I, I guess there's like this spectrum of means there. So I, I you know, you have five dollars, or you have like five million dollars, right? 
probably five dollars is not enough although some people would argue against that it's like five dollars is enough you just figure it out on the way five million dollars like okay let's say 50 million dollars is the upper bound on this 50 million dollars like obviously you're good to go like please stop working now yeah there's very very little marginal utility yeah exactly right exactly right um whereas somewhere in the middle like you could say okay you you kind of have the means but maybe maybe not forever so i have i have the means uh, i guess i don't see you see me getting a little bit uncomfortable here because like i i don't want to be extremely specific about this but basically what what i've got is the means to sustain what i'm doing right now for something on the order of uh, okay i'm not going to be specific no that's but that's I, fine I, but- it's it to the point I was getting to with calling it a shortcut is mm. that 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 buys into a framing that doesn't apply to you because the reason like the reason why you would see sailing as a shortcut, mm. um, I mean even talking about uh, you were you were gone with Captain Lauren for like a week, you could do that while you had a job like that's not even necessarily to what you're yeah. what you're about to do would be much more of an ask in a professional environment four to six weeks yeah yeah but the to call it a shortcut buys into the framing that there's, you know, school and then there's job and then there's sailing at the end of it. Hmm. But that it's not a line. Those hmm. are simply areas that you can traverse. And yep. the fact that you you can move those wherever you want to, assuming you have, you know, assuming you have survival taken care of yep. and you spent the time to do that. Um I, you can frame that as a shortcut, but I think it's unhealthy to do so because what it because it's causing the gears in your head to spin. Yeah. Like it's not it's not impossible for most middle class people to go on a sailing trip for a week. That's a thing they could do. That's true. And they choose not to do it. But one of the reasons why it's easy to default into the choice of not doing it though is because it's kind of hard to set this stuff up. So yeah, while you're correct that it is just a week or in this case, two weeks, because I did end up like helping her put the boat away and then like making some time on the front and back end for like logistical reasons and so forth. But that kind of points to the ease that my my flexibility has imparted on putting a situation like this together. So for instance, I could just jump on a phone call with Lauren in the middle of a Tuesday. In fact, this was right after you and I did some construction project. I could just jump on a call with her because it's like, hey, Matt, are you available to talk right now? So in other words, part of the reason why I was able to land this opportunity is because of the of the room that I've made for myself in my life. Um, so that just, again, it just makes it easier to do. So yes, while it's true that in theory, somebody else could just go do this. And in practice, Michelle and Chelsea did just this. They both have jobs. All, all three of them work in, in San Francisco. That's where they met. So they actually flew out here to take breaks from, well, not Lauren, but Chelsea and Michelle. To They took breaks from their regular job to go do this. So I guess that's kind of an exception to what I'm talking about. But my point is that for me, it was easier. Uh, the space that I've made in my own life made it easier for me to land this opportunity. Yeah. And you give yourself no credit whatsoever <laughs> for for having built this lifestyle with a substantial amount of discipline. There, like the, Your ability to take a call 
in the middle of a Tuesday is the consequence of you putting in the work earlier. And to be fair, it paid off for you better than it pays off for most other people. But some of that is very much because you combined a strategy with the discipline to execute it. Yeah. And the problem, of course, talking about this, and I don't, I don't want to waste the whole podcast talking about this since you, <laughs> we were talking, the reason we wanted to do a second one is because we talked about this too much the first time. So I don't yeah. want to harp on this forever, but it does, but it does matter uh, is that you're, um, it's that guilt is clearly a driver <laughs> <laughs> and the degree to which it allowed you to get here is in question. It's probably a negative enough emotion that it's okay to figure out how to suppress or resolve it. Mm. But it is just one of those weird lingering things. It's like it's like the fact is it's not a coincidence that every extremely successful business person was like a lying, cheating asshole in their twenties, like, and then became a magnanimous, charitable person in their like forties and fifties. Like that's clearly the arc of success for a for an entrepreneur in the American economy. Yeah. Like you, that's that's just the model. You couldn't you couldn't start as the fifty year old sage. That it just wouldn't work. I guess this is another reason why I feel like I need to defend myself, right? Because maybe maybe I had some part of that like bad character that helped me get here. I don't know exactly. Um, I do know that I gave the the whole. So you, you're talking about the discipline, the strategy, and then the discipline to implement that strategy by being an actuary over a number of years. Um, one of the one of the things that I was also testing when in that profession was, hey, maybe I could actually like this, and maybe there's something here. And I I did give it a couple good shots. And looking at some of my old journals, it's like. All right, let's, for instance, I guess this was at the very beginning of 2021 when I was feeling pretty good about the profession generally. Um, I was like, let's give this a good shot. Maybe there's something here to get good at, like sort of the, the Cal Newport, so good they can't ignore you sort of thing. It's like, yeah. it doesn't matter so much what profession you find yourself in. As long as you have like a decent opportunity, just go for it. And I tried to buy into that a number of times. But I could never make that stick for more than probably between like six and 10 months at a time. It's kind of a long, the 10 months was definitely the longest one. Um, but yeah, so I couldn't make that stick. So I just stuck through with the whole like, let's grit through this. Let's do the discipline thing. Like, let's get to the end of this. Um, but yeah, we're, we're also talking about Chelsea and Michelle on this boat. They haven't quit. <laughs> like they've they've got good careers and you know one of the things that i learned there was that you know i i, I approach the need for balance in a life on a very long time scale longer than most people approach the balance thing so what i mean by that is like some people just try to have balance on the time scale of a week right they do some work and then they have some fun they talk talk to some friends and I've, <laughs> it's just not really been my style, um, for better or worse. Like, and, and I don't know if it was on purpose that I adopted this longer timescale style, but I keep saying longer timescale. That's kind of a esoteric way of putting it. What do I mean? It's like, I'm not having fun <laughs> during, during the actuarial career. I'm not having fun, like almost at all during the week so that I can save all my fun time for uh, this like future sailing thing that I'm going to go do. And that's, that's what I did. 
but it's also weird and kind of unfair in a certain sense. So I felt on, on during our last conversation or previous conversation, the need to defend it. And that's why I sounded so, uh, uh, how to put it, <laughs> stilted, unrelaxed. <laughs> also, I had two cups of coffee that day. Today I'm drinking some uh, Phoenix Mountain Oolong. I typically drink tea, so it's probably better for me to drink tea. No, you absolutely psyched yourself out. I did, yeah. Um, it wasn't that bad. It didn't. It didn't come across that bad. Forty-five minutes ago, when we were talking last. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I wait. What do you mean? It didn't come across I'm just, that bad. That's just you, you were. You were listening to what, it. No, no, no. When we stitched these together. And, oh, and, <laughs> and it looks like I see. I and see. it sounds like we've just been talking for two hours. But, yeah, yeah. But which you know, it was actually two weeks ago or so. Yeah, it was. It was a while back at mm. this point. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, again, I clearly something worked for you there. Um, and the long time scale, I mean, I try pretty hard to be that way as well. I'm way less successful at it, though, because I'm much more temperamental than you are. <laughs> so I lose. I, I drop plans a lot faster than you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are there's there's an up and a downside to that. The purity with which you can pursue a task, knowing that you don't need to satisfy everything at the same time, makes it... It's There's clear, obvious benefits to that. That's, I mean, every not even self-help book, but every, every person who seems to have their shit together seems to understand that conceptually. But at the same time you do. And I, I know this because we've lived together through those moments. Um, I mean, it, it's clearly has a cost because you have to, you know, in the week you're not having fun or the month you're not having fun, you're not having fun. You have have to tolerate that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that and that is is that cost worth it it's very difficult to gauge the one thing that i do know from observing you which we just talked about with habit test is that when you try to use an all-in-one strategy it fails mm-hmm. so there may be a blend that can be achieved but to have one thing that does all of those at the same time does not work yeah i agree with you um, all, all in one strategy. Let, let's unpack that just a little bit too. You're, you're talking about like this has to provide me habit money. Test, habit test is a me, platform like, that meaning. gives you money, yeah. friends, yeah, yeah. and a general sense of worth and yep. technical expertise. And it was just everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was. Yeah. It was designed as a magic bullet. Yeah, and, and and like it was a poorly designed magic bullet in the sense that like all all of these um, self directed projects a business really has a low probability of success in in the sense that like can it sustain you financially i guess that's one of that's probably the key thing can it sustain you financially and no like like (laughs) probably with better execution it could have been fine but there's so much luck involved well there's so much luck involved that's true um, but also I just, I didn't set my environment up in a way conducive to success there. I didn't come in with the right prerequisites. Uh, I, I put a lot of effort into it, but a lot of my effort on habit tests was just, or, or a lot of the potential effort that I could have put into that project was just burned up as, as the friction of me second guessing myself. Um, and when I just had myself to rely on there mostly and, and like trying to beat off um, beat off criticisms or like implicit criticisms of what I was doing there. That was hard. 
Yeah. And I, uh, I, I couldn't do it. And, and I, I tapped out like a couple months early, hated myself for doing that. Um, but that's just how it wrapped up. Yeah. So sailing. Yes. By contrast. Uh-huh. That works pretty good. So far, so good. You had an agenda here that we derailed on so that we could keep talking about the thing that we talked the whole time. Oh, last oh time I've, we've hit one of the agenda items. Very good. And, and probably, so there's like five lines on this list and, and the Dan and Pam thing was like the in. Oh, okay. So, so to bring it back to that, it's, it's like, well, yeah, I've, I've, I felt this need to escape right? Uh, that, that was the whole like sailing thing. I got this validation from Dan and Pam and another, another piece of that. And, and by the way, I'm saying validation. It's like, Matt, what are you like in kindergarten? Like you're this <laughs> child that needs validation. It's like, well, no, not all the time, but from time to time, it's nice to be reminded that be reminded by people that you value and respect and there's this like mutual admiration going about yeah. um that you're on the right track and that that it, it was nice so while i'm not in kindergarten it was kind of a nice thing to like get this like hey matt welcome to the retired life yeah. from pam and and like also when we were when we were out at the bouldering field we were at the rumbling bold in north carolina um we were with some of Dan and Pam's friends, Emily and Charles. And at one point, like I'm climbing this problem and Dan is like kind of talking me up a little bit to Charles and Emily. Dan is like, oh, Matt's the guy that like, he, he retired first. Like he beat me, he beat me and Pam to this. Um, Cause like he, Matt like did this, did this habit test thing back in 2018. So he's like the OG, like financial independence guy. <laughs> and I was like, wow, like, that feels pretty good to like be talked up like this um, by by Dan to somebody else, and like that feeling of a friend building me up. It just feels like kind of um, it's sort of unfamiliar. Oh yeah, and it was like, oh okay, it was kind of nice. So another thing that was related to that was during this escape trip. So <laughs> the escape. I'll stop pointing out immediately that's the name of the boat the escape trip um where at one point we had a we had an equipment failure okay uh, this was this was after the first two legs of our passage first leg was like a seven hour sail from key west to some like little key off of key west so we were like gonna anchor out at. it was just our first day sail maybe it lasted for five hours or so we put down the anchor and we're just there for the night no equipment failures here. Um, and then the next day, uh, so we sleep over, we, we have the, like the sunset dinner, we go off on the dinghy snorkeling, we have a great time, we have like the crew bonding experience over snorkeling and cooking dinner. So that first night we had like, I was not the chef the first night, it's whatever, I was a chef eventually, but we had like, we had rice, vegetables, and fish that first night. And it was a beautiful meal. Like with, we look aft of the boat and you just like see the dinghy there, but then it's just open ocean sunset. It was like a sublime experience. It was awesome. Um, and then, so we're at anchor. We do the anchor watch overnight, which means I have to wake up at 12 just to like make sure we haven't drifted. Like we're not about to bash into the land or we're not like floating out to sea or anything like that. So at 12 o'clock, I sort of like stick my head out of the, out of the uh, salon and I'm like, 
yep, everything looks about the same. And I go back to bed. Um, and then everybody does that like once, once uh, every two hours. So I just had to do mine at 12 at midnight. Um, and then the next day, Michelle and I were up on the bow um, doing two things. First, we had to weigh anchor. In other words, we had to take up the anchor and stow it so we could move again. And then after that, we were actually going to grab a mooring ball, which is sort of, it's, it's like a permanent anchor that's just like floating there. Uh, and we and, and the question is like, why would you weigh anchor and then go do the mooring thing? Like the mooring thing is just so you can be stationary again, just like you are at anchor. And the reason is because we're just like trying to learn a lesson. One of the reasons Chelsea and Michelle are out there is to just like learn things and me too. But they explicitly went on this trip as like part of the like, I guess it's called the coastal cruising course. Whereas I, I didn't like sign up for a course. They, I guess, either implicitly or, or even maybe more explicitly did that with Captain Lauren. And one of the things that you learn during this course is how to do a mooring. So we thought that we were going to have the opportunity to do this the night prior. Turns out that some charter boats like had taken all the mooring balls by this key. So we decided, all right, we'll anchor out tonight, which is a good lesson in itself. Um, and then after that, we'll like do the mooring thing the next day. Okay, so we have successfully weighed anchor. It's me and Michelle up on the bow. Lauren's like in, you know, at the helm and like doing the helmsperson stuff. Uh, like, what what does a helmsperson have to do when weighing anchor? Uh, you just have to. In fact, I don't even know right now. This is kind of an indictment of my skills, right? So I, I guess like basically when you have an anchor, it's like biting into the sea. And the boat is trying to go back away from it. So I suppose that the helmsperson, yeah, I guess this makes sense, just has to move the boat forward a bit so as to release some of the uh, some of the tension on the anchor. And yeah, this is correct. So it was Lauren's responsibility to just move the boat for closer and closer to the spot where the anchor is, while I, so while two people are up at the bow, like at the anchor locker, uh, it was my responsibility to. Uh, hit the button on the windlass, which is like the anchor pulley thing, to bring in the appropriate amount of chain um, so as to like get it to come up at the right speed. You don't want to go too fast. You don't want to go too slow. And it was Michelle's job to like use the boat hook to manually like <laughs> knock all of the chain into the anchor locker like appropriately so it doesn't get snagged or whatever. Um, and, and I was calling back to Chelsea who was like in the middle of the boat sort of relaying communications because we're almost like 40 feet away from each other at the helm and at the bow. So it's like really hard to yell all the way to the other side. Um, so I'm like shouting things and Chelsea's like relaying things. So we all got involved, all four of us. Anyway, so weighing anchor went more or less seamlessly. Even the final part of it where it's like, okay, at the very end, there's the risk of the anchor coming up above the waterline and bumping into the gel coat of the boat. Even a tiny little bump is like, okay, that's annoying. We're going to have to like patch that up later. Um, so I wanted the thing that I had to do with the windlass was hit the button at just the right time to get it to not like do the pendulum action as it came up above yeah. the waterline. Yeah. Um, I succeeded at that. And the, the whole, and. I guess the other trick, which was not just me, but it was also Michelle, was we had to then orient the anchor on the bow roller 
in the correct way. And there's basically like uh, between two and infinite ways that the thing can come up. I mean, there's like the two most likely ways, which are upside down and completely right side up and stowed appropriately. But then you have all the like other like, you know, 45 degrees or it's like 67 degrees. That's all possible too. Um, so anyway, we, we managed to get the anchor to come up exactly upside down at first. It was just like the luck of the draw just came up and sat on the bow roller upside down. So we let it back out just a little bit and sort of turned it around. I can't remember exactly who was doing what there, but like Michelle and I worked together well to figure this part out. And we got it to come back up and we secured it with like whatever line. So hooray, we've done it. We did the anchor and it went more or less seamlessly, even with like that slight upside down part. But that was apparently that's a common thing to do. So we got that done. And we probably like, we, Michelle and I probably high-fived at that point because it was kind of stressful and we figured it out. So hooray. Um, and then we had to continue up to the mooring ball. So this, this uh, situation wasn't quite as perfect. Okay, so we're going up to the mooring and the idea here is you've got the ball with a line that's floating in the water. It's this yellow nylon, I think nylon? It's this yellow floating line. And a line is a rope, by the way. Uh, so the, the line is floating in the water. And it's Michelle's job. She's still on the boat hook. But with the boat hook this time, by the way, I should say a boat hook is just like a long pole with a hook at the end of it. And it's called a boat hook because it's on a boat. Very good. Uh, yeah, so that's that's it. It's not for getting other boats. It's just like, you know, a handy long arm that you've got like available. And it's like a telescoping thing too. So like, you can make it longer if you need to. Um, so she had the boat hook. She was going to uh, catch, she was going to grab this yellow floating line in the water so that she could then hand it to me and that uh, so that I could then tie the bow lines of the boat to this yellow now obtained line that's attached to this mooring ball. So again, to recap that, we're trying to tie this boat to the yellow line using the two bow lines that are already attached to the boat. And to pull that camera back just a little bit farther, you are trying to attach to something for the purpose of what? For the purpose of keeping the boat stationary. So if once, you're, once you've tied up to the mooring ball, boat doesn't move anymore it's another way of anchoring more or less but that relies on equipment that's pre-installed in the water as opposed to your own anchor yeah okay um and it's good to be able to moor because generally speaking mooring balls when you can find them are more reliable than anchors presumably since they've been bolted to the floor yep that's exactly right that's exactly right more moorings get installed and it involves concrete, it involves bolts, and like they're tested. Whereas anchors, like an anchor can fail. Um, so if you can find one, a mooring is generally better. Um, so that's why we're going through this cha- training exercise. Yep. Um, and also the plan was, well, the plan after this was to go swimming for a little while. So like we want to get on this mooring and then we want to go swim. Um, and then at the end of this, we'll like get onto our day long passage. So the, the whole like series of events that I'm describing right now is at something like 930 AM. And the plan is to get underway at something like 1030 or maybe 1130 
for our 22-hour long passage from Catrell Key, where we are right now, up to Fort Myers Beach. It's like 100 miles. Um, so anyway, <laughs> Michelle has the line. She She's like successfully grabs this yellow line uh, that's like floating in the water and she's passed it up to me and I pass, like I, I get one of the mooring lines on, excuse me, one of the bow lines correctly attached to it. And I do this by passing the bow line through the very end of the yellow mooring line that has a little loop in it. And then it's my responsibility to then cleat this off onto our boat. But what I fail to do at this point is to do so quickly so that I can then move on to the port side bow line and do the same exercise with that one. So I've done the starboard side, the right side, and now eventually I need to get to the port side. But I'm delaying in doing this so that I can pull all the slack through. And that was the wrong thing to do. I should not have tried to pull all the slack through. Instead, I should have waited to do that like cleanup part to the very end and instead realize, okay, I have a limited time to do this action, to cleat this thing off. And I didn't do that. I was trying to pull the slack through. So eventually, like I do get to the port side, we do that side, we kind of screw up along the way and we like get all these lines tangled up in the bow roller very bad situation like this could actually damage the boat and like rip off the anchor if something bad happens so that was that was bad that was wrong um something something that i'm not going to take all the blame for this we both kind of screwed this up um but it was mostly me that initiated the screw up so i guess in that sense it is more my fault whatever it's it's we messed up but here's one thing that i messed up in particular that michelle then pointed out and this is one thing that i really appreciated about her it's that while we were doing this she pointed out to me she said matt you needed to have that cleated off way sooner and I said, I thought to myself in that moment and then like reflecting on that moment, like five minutes, 10 minutes and three hours later, it's like, okay, she's going to, this is the kind of person that's going to tell it like it is, and she's not going to hold back so that we can actually start learning lessons immediately. And I really appreciated that about her. Um, and this is, this is one of the things that's, it's kind of rare to have that in a person. She can like find a way to say it firmly and yet like in a constructive way. And to just like be kind about it and say like, okay, we're all on the same team, but like do this part better. And like, here's something that I messed up too. I can't remember exactly what that would have been, but she's the kind of person that would have pointed out her own deficiencies there too. Um, So blah, blah, blah. We, we go back to the cockpit after tangling this bow line up in the bow roller. We debrief. We all talked about what went wrong. We go back for a second try And we do it, like we successfully get the mooring on, but it's like kind of at a weird angle. And this was not anybody's fault. This was just like how the mooring was set up and how long the lines were. It was at a weird angle such that the lines were like chafing against the bow roller. So we're just like, okay, we're just going to stay here for like 15 minutes and then just go so that we don't do any more damage to it. Uh, Any That is any damage to the lines like going up against the bow roller. And then we just get off on the passage. So again, like one of the points there is 
Michelle, I le- one of the things I learned about Michelle in this tense situation, which is like when you get to learn things about people in high stress, um, not high stress, let's say that a different way, in situations where technique matters, time matters, and just like execution matters. Um, and I got to learn about her there that she can like, she can execute and she can also point out deficiencies in a kind way. So for these reasons, like, and this is what my second or third day knowing this person. So this is one of the things I like about sailing already. It's like you get to know people immediately and you, you get like this shortcut (laughs) to use that word again. You get this shortcut to like relationships understanding people um and you just get to know people well quickly um so that's and that version of shortcut is real because there is there is a timeline of familiarization and to be thrown into a situation that aggressively where that occurred because you wouldn't ordinarily do that that's right that's right yeah yeah Sorry, I just wanted to... Uh, the distinction between that kind of shortcut and that kind of... I wanted to... The, conceptually, those are those are two different uh, versions of the same thing. Because that can also yep. go very, very poorly. It could. And, <laughs> so. and that's part of the reason why it's a valuable experience to have. It's because you're in a risky situation. This is one of the other... This is related to a thing that we talked about 45 minutes ago, two weeks ago. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, on our previous version of this conversation, which was the rock climbing thing... Um, you asked me something like, does it feel better because there's that risk there? Um, like, is, Matt, is one of the reasons why you enjoy rock climbing because of this peril you face? Because it matters. Yeah, and the answer is yes. Yeah. Um, so, so when I say shortcut in this context, it's different than the shortcut that we were talking about earlier in terms of, like, lifestyle design. Um, because this this is a shortcut it's like not the corner cutting kind of shortcut this is a shortcut that like actually gets you to a more valuable location in a legitimate way uh and the more valuable location here is just like the understanding and knowledge of like how good your crew is yep um so that's that's what i'm talking about here and for those reasons it's like a legit thing Again, I just, I didn't want to derail everything you were talking about. It was just, you, you mentioned the word shortcut again, and there's there's definitely different versions of, of what that can mean. And in particular, generally speaking, shortcuts refer to passages that are more challenging than the standard route because the standard route has been cut through. That's true. And is, yep. So generally, they're going to be hillier or more challenging, and being on a being trapped on a boat being forced to execute with people you don't know is absolutely one of those kinds of shortcuts that's, yeah that's right that's um, and right. thankfully michelle and uh, i assume the rest of the crew i don't maybe you're only talking about her in particular for some reason but we'll leave that to the side <laughs> i can come back to that yeah. but but yeah i mean that's that's good when that works yeah. out that's good so yeah when it works out so this gets back to an earlier point where I said, it's nice to feel this appreciation, validation from friends. Again, Matt, you in kindergarten? Well, kind of. And and that's like the whole Pam and Dan thing. Oh, you're welcome to the retired life. Well, I think during this like whole weighing anchor and 
getting onto the mooring and then subsequent experiences like getting ready for the storm on the first night of the passage after I exquisitely plate some salami cheese and vegetables with some hummus because during our 22 long hour passage, my role of engineer, navigator, or chef was chef. So I was like, all right, everyone, I'm gonna cook while we're like rolling around at sea. And Captain Lauren's like, easy killer. Maybe not. Like, maybe you're not going to cook tonight, but probably, like, you can get some salami and stuff like that. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to plate. I'm going to present this salami in the best way. <laughs> so that was that was my chefing for that night. And then the story came out. It's like, Matt, how did you know how to plate this stuff? And I'm like, well, I was a banquet server. And it's like everyone's like, oh, yeah, it's so clear now. Um, and we had a great time. Um, up to, So that was the sunset salami, which then led into the uh, the post-sunset storm that was like brewing out on the horizon and we went from we went from like <laughs> and again i'm not describing the equipment failure at all but, whatever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but anyway we went from like fun happy times to all right we're we gonna die now probably not we're gonna die but it, you know it's like mortality comes back onto the uh onto the menu of like things to think about and that's like mortality replaces salami in that sense so we're thinking about potentially dying and i i'm i think that i'm handling it like pretty well i've never been in a situation like this before where it's like okay we got to get the correct life vest on um because i'm on watch between uh me and michelle are together going to be on watch between 8 p.m and 11 p.m just after this sunset salami situation um but Captain Lauren is like getting us all ready. She's like getting the boat ready. She's tightening the sails inappropriately. We're checking our course, making sure we're going in the right direction. And Lauren's also getting out all the tethers because if you go overboard at night, which is more likely like if you're in a storm and the seas are kind of rolling around a little bit more than they have been during the day, uh, it's less likely that you come back alive. Like, you probably just you could just die right it's much less likely to be able to turn around like it, it's hard to turn a boat around um especially if lauren's not on deck because she has to sleep at some point um so yeah we all get tethered in and i'm i could be panicking here and i could be like all right well this is a bad situation we're getting into a storm i didn't like i didn't bargain for this like i didn't sign up for this but I didn't react that way. I'm going to toot my own horn a little bit again and say like, okay, I, this, this is fine. I'm handling this pretty well. Like I'm not getting my, I don't feel my blood pressure going up. I wasn't wearing anything, so I can't like tell you the data, but I felt fine. There was one part of me and I, I did, I did raise this at one point. I, I said to Michelle and Lauren, it's like, all right, maybe we should turn around and sort of wait this out and make the passage longer um, than 22 hours. Like we're, we're scheduled to make landfall tomorrow morning at something between 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. And the whole criteria or set of criteria for making landfall involves like being there at daylight. Well, we're going to have daylight for something like 12 hours tomorrow, so we can spare a little bit of time here, stay out at sea longer. Yeah, we're going to be more tired during this passage, but we're not going to run into the storm. So I did voice this suggestion 
Um, but then it was like tempered by the fact that we had a little bit of storm brewing behind us too. In other words, like we're in the middle of this like storm <laughs> situation. Surrounded yeah, by we're, we're surrounded, yeah. but in front of us is clearly worse than behind us. So I just, that's why I offer that as, as a suggestion, but I, I drop it quickly when everyone is like, well, let's just go for it. And I'm like, okay, like, we're just going to go for this. We got our tethers got our correct life vests on um stress is rising but it's not like yelling it's not like super high people are not shouting at each other and like it's it's fine um yeah so and, and eventually at one point michelle and i are down below and we're like continuing to get we're like in the salon we're getting gear for our joint watch which begins like at 8 p.m and at one point she tells me um we're talking about like just the situation at hand and michelle says she says to me um matt i'm really impressed by how you're handling this situation and that hit me and the reason it hit me was because I realized from this person, like, you know, at the bow, as we were doing the mooring thing, she told me like, hey, you needed to cleat this off way earlier. And several other examples like that. It's like, yeah. okay, this is this is clearly an honest person that won't just throw words like that around. Um, and that's, that's like kind of rare. I mean, pe people will just say things like this willy nilly, but I don't think Michelle would do that. Um, so, and I told her as much like five hours later, something like that. It's like, thank you for that compliment. And it meant something to me because I feel like you're honest and that's like too rare. Um, I don't think I said all of that, but that was like the idea. That was the idea yeah. there. Now we're going to fast forward to the equipment failure. All right. Okay. <laughs> so when, so we made it through the storm, spoiler alert, like we got there. Um, and we like watched, we watched the moon rise, we saw the stars and it was sublime. We made it to Fort Myers and now, and we stayed there for like three days. And now we're on the third leg of our journey, which is supposed to end at Kaya Costa. This is just another like six hour, seven hour long day sail from Fort Myers beach to some state park, like just North of Sanibel. This is all in Southwest Florida, seven hour sail. We're supposed to, we're, and we're going to anchor out just off the coast of this state park, which is a beach. It's a beach that you just can't access unless you've got a boat. And guess what? We got a boat. So we're going to go anchor there. We're going to get on the dinghy. We're going to go to the beach. We're going to walk the trails. Not going to be other people there. And it's going to be fun. And then we get there. We try to put the anchor down and it won't move. So that thing that I pressed the button on earlier to like get the pulley to, you know, put the, to pull the anchor back up. Now it won't put the anchor down. So it just can't do this. It's like, okay, what are we doing? Try to press a button. We tried a couple of different things. Lauren's yeah. like, pull, yeah, you, pulling you, out we, all we covered stops. this in the, the first conversation. Yeah. 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 This specific part. Mm -hmm. Um, and eventually it becomes clear, like, okay, we're not going to do this and we're going to, we're going to tie the anchor retention line back on and admit defeat here. Um, so, you know, like part of the part of the anchor system is you've got the whole pulley thing, but you've also got like the seat belt for it. And the seat belt being this like tiny little like anchor retention line. So as we're trying to put they 
So it was Chelsea and Michelle up at the bow of the boat trying to deal with this as Lauren is like going back and forth and like just managing everything all over the boat, including the electric systems down below. Um, and Chelsea and Michelle are unable to get this anchor retention line back on because of two things. One is the way the knot is tied, but the other is like the compromising position that you have to get yourself in in order to reach the tie point for this knot. It's on the bow of the boat. You can fall off and like do, it could be a disaster. So um, Michelle, who I've like grown to like have this respect, like there's this mutual respect situation developing there. Um, Michelle comes back to the helm and, and I'm at the helm, like actually steering the boat in circles at this point, because like, we're, <laughs> we're just trying to hold our position sure. and, and you yeah. do that by like steering in circles. And I'm like, I'm counting, I'm counting to everybody. That's the sixth circle. Like I'm trying to like bring, uh, some levity to the situation as like, this equipment is failing. And it was, it was well, well received. Like I would have shut up if it needed to sure. have been shut up, but sure. it was fine. Uh, it's a sixth circle. And anyway, Michelle now comes back and she, she says like, Matt, we can't tie this anchor retention line. We need you to do it. And I'm like, all right, show's on. Like, it's time for me to do this. Like, I, like they believe in me and I kind of believe in myself too. Like maybe I can get this thing done. And I go back like, and I ask her like, what's the problem? It's like, oh, we can't get this thing tight. Like we can get it tied but we need it to be tight. It's an anchor retention line, which is like actually supposed to not let it go even an inch. Um, so if the windlass fails, you can't have the thing move or else like it's gonna, the anchor at the front of the boat moving could cause a disaster when underway. Sure. So <laughs> game's on, like it's my time to go do this. And I'm like, how am I gonna do this? Oh, I know, I'm gonna try a, tucker, a trucker's hitch. And I, I, I'm like, ooh, can I do this? And the answer is yes, I get it done. And anyway, the, the point here is that like somebody believed in me, somebody that I respected believed in me. And maybe like if there wasn't that belief in me, I couldn't have done it. But there's this whole notion that like you can give somebody uh, like a manager and uh, that manager's employee, for example, one of the managing techniques that, by the way, I, I don't know about like for personally, because <laughs> I've never been in a position where I wanted to be a manager at any place that I've worked. And I'd like to change that. I'd like to work at a place um, that I believe in the mission of so that I can maybe be a, ma a manager someday. But, you know, maybe I'll just never have that. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Um, but anyway, one of the one of the manager's techniques is to give the employees like a good reputation, right? Even if it's not quite deserved, so you just like kind of talk this person up kind of like Dan was talking me up at that rock wall. It's like, Oh, Matt's the original like financial independence guy. It's like, yeah, it feels pretty good. And Michelle's like talking me up to me at this point. She's like, Matt, we need you to tie this knot. It's like, Oh yeah, maybe I can tie this knot. And I figured it out. Like, like having that good reputation foisted on me deserved or not. It's just like an extension of goodwill made partially i guess made me feel like i could do it and i went and did it and it felt awesome and it felt awesome it felt good also to be like needed in that moment and believed in in that moment um so i did it and felt good and that's how we uh <laughs> that's how we got around that problem side question did anyone else 
on this boat ever tie a knot besides you? Yeah, yeah. People oh, okay. people were tying knots left and right. Okay, but it seems like you were on knot duty the whole time. People were tying knots all over the place. Okay, and I just right. I just told uh two examples where I, I, I so yeah, I was tying knots in these specific situations and maybe I was tying like slightly more knots than other people. Um but no, other people knew how to tie knots. Okay. Yes. I just, just want to because every every time there's a responsibility, yes. you're you're the one tying you're the oh, okay. cleat or the thing. You got it. You got it all. Yeah. No, I mean and- nobody else knew how to tie a trucker's hitch. Which when we talked with Lauren about this later, it turns out that like the anchor retention line that we were just t- talking about, that you and I were just talking about, can be tied in a different order that doesn't require this trucker's hitch, which is a knot that can like provide tension while you're tying it. That That's like the trick to this particular knot. But if, if you were to tie the anchor on first and then tie it to the stanchion, which is the reverse of the operation that we were all trying to go through here, then you wouldn't have needed this. You could just do a simple clove hitch, which everybody knew. But because we did it in this backwards order, the clove hitch wouldn't have worked. And that's why they needed me. Boom. <laughs> Solved the problem. The hero comes in to fix the process failure. It felt good to be the process failure hero. Yep. That that was that was good. Absolutely. Now, of course, this is all a subtextual dig at me, or I'm going to take it that way, because... Uh, it's my podcast, so I get to interpret it however you want. And I do apologize for not being that kind of person. Um, I'm not, like, wired that way, and I don't consider that a good thing. <laughs> um, the the aura that... I mean, I feel like I... I, I you, are, you are absolutely free to judge one way or the other about this. I certainly hope I've gotten better at giving feedback than I used to be. I feel like I was substantially worse at um, being the Michelle of that group. I still don't ever compliment you or believe in you or any of those things. I'm still very, very bad at those. But hopefully it's not quite as toxic as maybe it was in the past. You have gotten better. This is a subtextual dig at you a little bit. It's true. Okay. However... I'm, it's not like a total indictment of you in the sense that we still do work well together when we have to, right? So for instance, like when we were, here's, here's one example. We built the MVB, yep. okay? We, there's a building now, right? Yep. So it's like clearly there's something going right there. Yep. And even while building the building, like we would have good conversations about like, okay, here's how to pass a tool from ladder to ladder. And that was fine, right? Like, in fact, that was really good because, like, we, I could see it being more difficult to work with many people, right? Working with you is a little bit painful from time to time. However, it works. And this is one of the things I like about you. It's like, we get things done. So, yeah, while it is painful sometimes and while I feel bad from time to time when doing it, it's like the same thing that you experience when going to the gym. I went to the gym and now I'm exhausted and sore the next day. And that's part of the progress, <laughs> right? It's like that's part of the the whole game that you're playing there. And I keep coming back to the game because it's a profitable game, right? Yep. So it's what while while this is like kind of a subtextual dig, it's like it could also be seen as me complaining, 
oh no, I'm sore after I've gone to the gym. <laughs> and it's like, well, listen, bitch, like that's that's the game. That's w- what we're playing here. But one of the points here is that there are multiple games that can be played. And there's like, like if we're going to continue with the gym analogy, there's a whole muscle confusion thing. You know, well, my muscles are so confused because I'm playing a different game, doing a different workout now. And that's like, it's probably a good thing to do from time to time. Oh, yeah. So it's probably a good thing to get exposure to different kinds of environments. And one of the things with COVID is didn't have that yeah, availability for like yeah. two years, right? So while it is a bit of a dig at you, on the other hand, it's like it's a dig at myself to go and find some other situation that's... It's not quite a dig at myself, but it's like coming back to the whole validation thing. It's like yeah. I had the hypothesis that maybe I needed to like, you know, broaden broaden my experience a little bit. And it turns out like that's that was true. Yeah. And now that now that I've had that, I feel like I can come back into into where we are and sp- specifically like, you know, being with you, working with you and say like, okay, I can do more of that now because like I've had this broader experience and I don't feel like like locked down like I have during during the whole experience of COVID. Yeah. So by move I guess by moving away for a little bit and doing some like broadening of the experience, you then come back, take those experiences, learn from them and bring them back to this situation. So it's all good. It's oh all yeah, good. no. Well and I I didn't wanna I didn't wanna interrupt your thought there. Um but I also, I also want to be clear. I was saying that somewhat tongue in cheek. Like I, the, I know that, and this is something that has been a, a permanent concern, especially particularly during COVID. But even just going forward, as I am forced more and more in my life, I, I do actually have to like work with other people. Um, I can't just do everything myself. Yeah. Is it's not, and I, I addressed it as such. I mean, it is it is a weakness on my part. Now there are there are times when you have to switch strategies. There are times when certain strategies are better than others. And I, you know, like the way that I work does obviously produce results, but that doesn't, there's, there is clearly an upside to, even if you do it in a false way, like you said, where you build someone up, even if they don't necessarily deserve it, there's clearly a value to that. Mm -hmm. Even if it is dishonest in the most like proximate exact sense, um, if it is ultimately better, mm. you should probably ultimately consider doing it. Um, and to attempt to, you know, to try on this, um, <laughs> to try on this encouraging thing. Part of the reason why I like working with you, and this this hits back to, is the fact that when you have an idea of what you want to accomplish, you don't quit. Or you you quit way later than most other people do. So, like, for example, there's plenty of times when I'm sure I was communicating poorly or was literally just in a bad mood, um, where you could have very easily thrown up your hands and just said, fuck this, and not, and you'd never do. Mm-hmm. You, you tolerate it. Like, your faith in the mission is very powerful, and it, it makes you a great person to work with on projects where, again, I'm being at least a little uncooperative, or I'm not sure exactly what I want to get done. Yeah. Um, in any particular thing, like I, you know, I, I try to be squared away about that. But when you're doing, you know, when you're doing experimental construction, you, some of that interplay has to occur. And I, it would be better for me 
to be more like Michelle in those in those moments. Um, just because, again, it would improve morale. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I could I could do that almost cost free. I could I could just be slightly better about that, and it would have it would have almost no negative consequences. Really, you could. I I I, 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 I don't question mean that in the that sense part. that I could do it. I'm yeah. I'm saying that if if a version of me was yeah. slightly more charitable, I don't okay. think it would cost. That anything. that's why I asked that question. Yeah. Um, because because you, I see you as very honest too. Um, and and like that honesty combined with your abrasiveness <laughs> um no it'd be hard could could make it like impossible for you to to just like throw those words around willy-nilly maybe it's like hey matt you're doing such a good job i don't really mean this and like i'm go- i'm gonna suffer as a result of having said that could be your mental state there and i i wouldn't want to ask you to do it any other way like contrary to your own nature but i'm just saying i'm just saying like the way that i am maybe sort of demands that from somebody that I'm working with a little bit more than I would like. So this is this is one way that that we wouldn't work together too well and this is one point of contention between us like when working together that we can navigate around and we do navigate around. Yeah. That's fine. Um but but yeah, I wouldn't ask you to like go against your nature and say like, "Oh, Matt, you're doing such a great job" when it's not true because I probably wouldn't now come to think of it, I probably wouldn't like that anyway. Like if if it had no, if it had no basis in reality, then it's like well, this is a problem for me too because you're just lying to me. That, I don't want to. I don't want to hear that I'm that I'm the best or like Matt. You're doing such a good job when it's like not true. It has no basis in fact. If it has some basis, then it's like okay. It's like let's let's maybe let's maybe find the good and then amplify that. Yeah. But let's not like blow it out of proportion. No, and that's that's why I think there there's a marginal there's 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 a margin to that. And yeah. the fact Michelle was able to do that in that case because you were competently commandeering a ship. That's right. Like, and that's you know, and this is this is it, it's a dig on you by like by definition, but. You're not good at construction. That's true. You don't do it for a living. That's it true. makes perfect sense. I mean, I don't do it either. I make con- I make tons of mistakes. Like we we worked slowly and carefully mm-hmm. because if we worked any faster than we did, we would have fucked everything up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't. You know, I I want to attempt to pat you on the back for your <clears throat> for your diligence in doing what you did, and I have to. And you know, it working against my nature, quote unquote. I need to practice that yeah. because it's not, it, and it's not even a matter of uh, going against my nature. It's it's simply that I don't think about it. Um, like when I'm in the middle of doing something, I'm trying to get the thing done, and I'm most concerned with how to do that. Again, in the proximate exact sense, um, which is extremely useful when it's just me, mm-hmm. because I, you know, if if there is any clarity to what I'm trying to accomplish. I have it all in my head, and you don't. We, I have whatever I have conveyed to you, and that's all you have to go on. Mm-hmm. So some degree of charity is necessary for that to make sense. Because if, if I'm assuming, I mean, and this, this, is a, this is a very, very common problem. And a lot of the ways, usually when people need to convey this kind of information, one, they just don't do things like this. Like they, they simply do not take on projects like this, collaborative projects. Yes. But also, but even when they do, they are extremely. I, I you've been in business environments. Managers are very wishy washy 
in what they say and what they mean. They don't, they don't talk directly. And that's not simply an attempt to lie. That is a learned behavior Mm -hmm. because that kind of, that kind of like gray area allows everyone to come together in a way that otherwise they wouldn't be able to do. Yeah. It's, it's It's how to manage. Yeah. It's, it's like, (laughs) you know, Dilbert, uh, Scott Adams made a career out of this. Um, talking about the psychosis of the the jargon of business. Like it, if you listen to a VP or an EVP give a presentation on anything, it's like they're just it's they're babbling, like they're not saying anything. And that's it's it, it accomplishes something. What they're doing, they're Rorschaching their team into a common cause. And it seems like that common cause is dopey or nonsensical, but it actually, for reasons that are are hard in a very proximate way to grasp, it has a purpose. It is connective, which is what they need to be. And that's the thing that, again, I'm not good at, and I'm very glad you have found places to get validation like that, not because I've given up on the mission of attempting to be a person who is more like that, but also... I'm just way behind. <laughs> so there are other people like Michelle who are probably naturals at that. Yep. So I don't ever expect to be as good as she is at it. And I'm not I'm not asking yep. for that. And it's unfair. It it is unfair for me to ask that from you, sure. which is the reason why it's like it is appropriate to go out and I don't know, I don't know, see other people from time <laughs> to time too, right? It's like, yep. oh what a concept. No, absolutely. Um, and, and and yeah, you've got your strengths, you play to your strengths, and that's that's all that somebody can ask from you. Yeah. And and like it's it's what people appreciate about one another. It's like, oh, you've got these strengths. Let's go to that person's strengths. Let's let's go to David's strengths, Matt's strengths. And then it's like when that person's like, okay, these strengths are too strong. It's getting too annoying, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then you just like say, all right, for a little while, it's time to go do something else. And you come back. Yep. That's good. Absolutely. All right. Well, I'm done commandeering this conversation away from you. What what other what other things do you want to talk about? This, this is basically it. This is basically okay. it. I mean, yeah, we we've we've hit the important parts. Very good. We've hit the important parts. Um, did some dancing. Did some dancing. Oh, you're talking about the chaos dance that I sent you. This, yep. is, this was uh, <laughs> Lauren was dancing in the cockpit. And Sweet Home Alabama is playing by by the cover, the cover band in uh, in Burnt Storm Marina, and yeah, we just start dancing. It's like these people are coming coming by in the dock. It's like they, they call us out for dancing. It's like, well, why aren't you dancing? Come on, you gotta dance too. And then they start dancing for just a second, and then Michelle like pans over to them, just as they stop dancing. It's like, okay, we can't we can't get this right now. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that was that was another part of the of the fun of just being out there. It's like I I I generally I, I think this is another difference between you and I. It's like I wanna I wanna like make small talk with people as they like pass by on the dock. And it's like I, I, I like I like doing this little thing. Oh yeah. And I like that that dynamic that we all have together, both on the boat and like just talking with with people, like in a short and superficial way, as they pass by on the dock. It was nice to just get that little like perspective shift for a little while too. Oh yeah. Um, while having my chaos cocktail of V eight and club soda. <laughs> <sighs>
Yeah. No, it's, you are absolutely a life of the party type person in a way that I will now, I will not even aspire to be. Don't, so no, it, it, you, you don't, you don't need to do that again. We're, yeah. we're, we're all, we're all here to uh, play to our own strengths yeah. and not to, <laughs> not to go and do something contrary to our nature, at least not too much. I, it was, it was something that, that killed me over the last two years was the fact that you you clearly have this specific way of talking to me that suppresses this other side of you and the fact that you didn't have an outlet for it mm -hmm. was just like awful like because i just i felt that the whole time um because i just don't like i'm not i'm not that way so yeah yeah and it's it's unfair for me to ask you to be that way um, so, so yes, this is, uh, <laughs> diversify yeah. is the bottom line here, right? And no all-in-one solutions. There's no all-in-one solutions. Yeah. That's sort of been the moral I've attempted to apply to essentially everything over the last year. Uh -huh. It's been very useful to stop pretending that there's one way. In particular, just <clears throat> the desire for the for the false elegance of using one tool to do everything it because you're always you are you are necessarily compromising to do that and it's really not it's it, it's a false for like i said it's a false elegance you you think that it's simple to use one method to solve everything mm -hmm. but you're just introducing a functional complexity because you have to use the one thing that you have quote-unquote creatively to yeah. do all of these things and that's complicated on yeah. its own yeah, yeah yeah and on top of that you're you're coming in with inadequate prep you're using when you could simply back up one more step and say okay well if i am in a situation like on a boat where if you know if we were to be on a boat for four weeks. I think we could tolerate it, but you would not enjoy it as much as you did with the crew you had. Because just again, because because of the, the specific dynamic there. So you don't bring me on the boat, you bring Michelle on the boat. Mm. Um and that's that's you know, could we do that? Yes. We would have to creatively accommodate the fact that our personalities would run into each other over the course of that journey. Yeah. Or you could just bring the right people in that environment. And that's, again, it's the, the all-in-one, it's, phones ruined everything. Actually, that's <laughs> not true. Twitter ruined everything. But, <laughs> but no, it's the, <clears throat> the desire, the desire to have the one solution is so, it's so powerful and it is so misguided. Just every time I run into this, um, it's, yeah. And I see it, I see it everywhere now. I see this over-application thing now that I've started looking into it. I start. I did this neurosis. I was going to write about it, uh, about um, testing audio equipment, trying to figure out exactly what I needed. And I, you know, I narrowed it down. I only have nine um, either stereo or headphones. Oh, I thought it was eight zones. You've, you've gone up yeah, to I have nine, nine I have nine zones this, okay. now, which, you know, is that insane? Whatever, it's fine. I already had all this stuff. <laughs> I didn't have to buy anything. I was paring down. Mm. And just, I started seeing that in everything. The the thing where it's like, you're trying to use this in two spots and just just don't do that. Yeah, you can you can have more things. Just have. It's, it's okay to not have to call yourself a minimalist. 
there's something to be said for it, but there's also something to be said for having the right tool for the right job. There's a balance that you have to strike there. Yeah. One of the first times that you introduced this concept to me was with the, what what is this tool called? It's like the, the drill punch, that spring-loaded thing. The to center s- punch. The center punch, that's right. Yeah. yeah. It's like, this is the right tool for this job. It's specific. It's a specialized tool, but it has its place in the tool bag for a reason. Yeah. Center punch. And it makes every, you know, it, it eliminates by far the most annoying part of any drilling experience, which is getting started. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. you just get a tool that starts it. Yes. Like you, you solve the exact problem you have with it. And that is extremely satisfying in and of itself. I mean, I've, I, I don't think it's been too much of a secret within my, um, within my own head, but it's something I always tend to forget anyway, is that I don't, I don't like producing things. I like using tools. like that's the thing that i like to do that's why i stopped buying cheap tools for the most part other than for very specific applications because the thing the thing i like doing is using a tool well like whatever it produces is you know it's it's nice Mm. but it has not it has nothing on the prop like the the proper and effective use of the actual thing it's the performance the performance of the action. And this is, you know, I, I'm sure you're familiar with the thing. You, If you practice doing a thing, a knot is a great example of this. Tying, If you practice tying a knot, you get to a point where you tie the knot and it's li- it's intrinsically satisfying to do it just because you're good at it. And that's, that's, my, that's my experience in many cases, but definitely not all cases. <laughs> and the... Uh, the the inadequacy revealed by an improperly tied knot is equally painful on the other side. That's fair. It's, I told Captain Lauren after screwing up in one situation that I was that was kind of foreign to me when tying a clove hitch to a vertical piling. I was like, oh, crap, I don't know how to do this quickly. <laughs> so, so I told her, Lauren, I got to set, set up an obstacle course in the backyard where I just tie knots in uh, situations that are not ideal. I'm, that's the thing to do next really need to get an <laughs> obstacle course put together in october make sure it has some not tying stations oh yeah absolutely <laughs> no and again I, there has to be a way to design there has to be a way to design a self-proofing um or a self-testing knot station where mm-hmm. y- if you don't use the right knot it doesn't work yeah. but obviously the point that you're you're doing a um, you're doing a contest between the time it takes to tie it and its efficacy to do whatever it's designed to do. Uh-huh. Um, so you pick the right knot for the job because it's the fastest way to adequately do what you need to do, and there, it yeah. has to be possible to set up like an array of scenarios for that. Yeah, that's true. And also, I think I think probably it's, by pulling yourself with them, you could pull yourself with it, or like tie a bowline to yourself and see if you get like strangled. <laughs> like that's one you of have the to reasons. Tie it around to, your neck. Don't tie it. Oh my God, no, not around <laughs> that part. Tie it around underneath your armpits. Okay. That's that's how when someone throws a line to you in the water, you quickly tie a bowline around yourself, and if you do it right, you life gets saved if you do it wrong you just die faster because it becomes a noose around yeah. your torso and just crushes you it's like you tie the bowline incorrectly now you're dead yeah. right so in this op- in this not tying aspect of your obstacle course it could be self-evident whether you've like whether you've gotten the, whatever situation correct yeah, exactly you you build you contrive it so that the actions you have to take mm. only work if you do the not correct yeah 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 yeah, yeah it's sort of like a self-grading thing that's that's that's, yeah, that's right that's, that's yeah, trying to get to because mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of 
dumb bullshit you can put in an obstacle course. And that would definitely be one of the things. You would have to put that in there. The way that I screwed up was at the very end of our final leg of the uh, of the sailing excursion. I think, we, I think you covered this. On, yeah, on yeah, the first yeah. I, I had to tie the, uh, the vertical clove hitch. And I did something with the line onto this piling and then it almost immediately just started falling off as i ran to the other side of the boat and lauren's like matt that's not a knot and i come back and i'm like oh crap like you're right but all that gets to wait until october and you will be out of here shortly until (laughs) you're getting i mean i keep saying i'm gonna leave and stop being here in the summer and you are absolutely killing it i'm taking that serious i'm taking that seriously (laughs) i'm out of here in a couple days uh and i'm eventually going to end up in brooklyn departing for uh almost the top of nova scotia yeah i'm pumped that's gonna be me and brooklyn bob are we gonna die Maybe. Is, is it Are just gonna, the two of you? It's just two of us. Oh, jeez. Okay. I know. I know. On this 27-foot boat, we're going to have instant coffee. He asked me, do I take creamer in it? If so, it's going to be either <laughs> evaporated or powdered milk because the icebox only lasts for a couple of days. Mm. And I told Brooklyn Bob, black. There you go. You didn't want to... Have you had evaporated creamer before? No. I've but, never had it. I don't... No. But the, the the reason for that, though, was I was just like, I'm not going to start introducing complications. Oh, yeah. No, I'm no, just like, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to be that guy. And I, I typically uh, like I'm I'm down to zero of this pot of uh, Phoenix Mountain Oolong tea. He asked me if I wanted tea for the trip, tea or coffee. And I didn't want to get into that discussion with him. I mean, that's Black that, coffee. That's absolutely another one of your just strengths as a helper, of course, is that you are absurdly accommodating. People, people, my friends tell me that I'm adaptable, yeah. and I think that is one of my biggest strengths. Um, Easily, I, I, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm. I, I think, I think that's right. I think that's right, and I think it's a good strength to have and to try and cultivate. But like, it just kind of comes naturally to me. I, the best strengths do. Yeah, I guess I guess that's <laughs> yeah. kind of the point, isn't it? Yeah, you barely even have to practice them. So yeah, that, yeah, that's, yeah, that's the point. Absolutely. Um, I covered boating, covered compliments. <laughs> I pretty much think that's probably works for a podcast. Um, you'll be here for another three days, and then uh, I, I have no idea when you're going to be back just yet. I, will, I guess we have I an will idea. Actually, that's about it. I will be back after the Boca trip. Um, I'm going to come back here for one day because instead of flying out of Fort Lauderdale and having to bring all my sailing stuff with me down on that trip oh, okay. on two planes, I'm just yeah. going to come back here for a day and then fly with my boat stuff from Orlando to Brooklyn. So yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, I thought about that and I was like, eh, do do I do I want to do it this way? And the answer was no. <laughs> so I'm not going to wear my boots onto two airplanes. I'm sorry, onto three airplanes. Two, whatever. I'm not counting. Um, I'm just going to do it from Orlando to Brooklyn. How much stuff do you bring on a sailing trip? Um, so I'm trying to get away with just the minimum because that's like my style of traveling. Sure. I typically just try to bring the backpack. Um, one of the one of the uh, costs that I had to bear from doing that during the Key West passage was I had to wear the penalty bib life vest instead of a nice life vest. So I have like one of those inflatable things that just kind of goes. It's the red one that just sort of like drapes over you and doesn't have like all the foam 
uh, and it inflates and protects you with air as opposed to foam if you hit the water. Um, I didn't bring that nice life vest because that would have taken up still a lot of space in the backpack. So I wore like one of the emergency life vests that was on Lauren's boat. It's just like that thing that goes around your neck. It's like the $5 like cheap PFD. Yeah. I wore that. Um, the only sailing things that I brought that I like added to my typical like travel loadout were sailing gloves, uh, a headlamp, and I think one more small thing. And that was it. Um, I, <laughs> and during the night of the passage, Lauren's like, get your foul weather gear out. And I'm like, <laughs> All right, got my windbreaker that I just always have with me. That's my foul weather gear, right? Yeah. Whereas on this trip, so going up with Brooklyn Bob, he has, so it turns out we're about the same stature. So he has like backup um, offshore gear for me to wear. Um, it might be like a tiny bit out of fit, but whatever. Like I don't have to buy like literally $900 worth of offshore gear, like, <laughs> like pants and like a really nice jacket that like is waterproof for like the sea pouring on you as you like have a, have a wave hitting you from over the stern and maybe like yeah. filling your cockpit up. I mean that, that fits entirely within the realm of boating in general. I mean, always borrow instead of own when it I, comes to the I, sea. I agree. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, um, so I'm for this trip, I am buying uh, boots. So I, I actually have some more boots arriving today so I can try a bunch of pairs on and return like all but one of them. So I'm going to wear boots onto the airplane is my plan. So I don't have to pack them in a bag because I'm still just going to try getting away with my single like backpack. Yeah. Not the carry-on kind of backpack, but the personal item-sized backpack. I think I can make this work. Um, I think I will also bring my headlamp and my gloves, but that's it. That's I'm going to try to make that it. We'll see if it works. <laughs> Sounds like it'll be fun. I hope so. Uh, if if nothing else, it'll be it'll be an adventure, and that's yeah. that's what I'm looking for right now. It could it could be one of those like it, like like when I slammed my face into the dock in Burnt Storm Marina, like I realized pretty quickly this is this is a situation that would be funny, but not now. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> All right. All right. It's like 12:30 ish. So been here for long enough well it's been good being here it's been a good time safe travels etc etc thank you i don't remember if i have a sign off anymore so i'm not going to do one